Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by StarCast on Fight.com. What are you waiting for? If you haven't already, make plans to join us. If you can't be in Chicago next weekend, you've got to be on Fight.tv or pre-order right now at StarCastOnFight.com. You're going to get a dozen shows. Not only will you hear from the one and only Cody Rhodes, you're going to hear from John Moxley. And of course, the one and only CM Punk. I can't believe he's doing something with wrestling again. He's going to be with us at StarCast. You don't want to miss all the live action. You get Mick Foley, you get Dane Malenko, you got Tony Schiavone. It is the place to be. It's StarCastOnFight.com. Check it out right now. That's StarCastOnFight.com. You're going to get Alive being the elite mailbag. You're going to get the all-out press conference. You're going to get Dean Malenko sitting down with Tony Schiavone. You're going to get the women of AEW. You're going to get Joey Ryan. You're going to get Mick Foley. It goes on and on. It's a dozen shows for one low price, both live and on demand with unlimited replays. Check it out right now. Starcastonfight.com. Don't forget there's two R's in Starcast and fight is F I T E. That's Starcastonfight.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And man, am I excited for today? It's finally here. SummerSlam 1989. Bruce, I'm looking forward to this one. But before we talk about this week, what was the feedback you got from last week's show, SummerSlam 99? Absolutely lovely, brother. How could you? I mean, I think that most people agreed with me. It wasn't the greatest show in the whole wide world. But, you know, it was memorable for all the right reasons, if you will. Yeah. And we hope that, uh, Starcast is memorable. We should mention that's we're right knee deep in the middle of Starcast. If you haven't already, you can join us right now at Starcast on fight. Uh, we are fresh on the heels of, uh, some fun stuff last night. We've got some more fun stuff tonight and tomorrow, sort of the main event. Check it out. Starcast on fight.com. Bruce, this is the first Starcast you're not a part of. You feeling left out. That hurts my feelings, man. Well, dude, you're working 21 and a half hours a day. Like I didn't figure you could fit me in anymore. Again, kayfabe that. Okay. I got it. Well, something that we're not going to kayfabe, uh, is our ancestry. Uh, you ever wonder where your family comes from with over a hundred million family trees and billions of records to give you more insight into your genealogy and origins. Ancestry connects you to the places in the world where your story started. Using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights, Ancestry even lets you trace your ancestors' journeys over time, following how and why your family moved from place to place. And to amplify your results, you can start a free trial on Ancestry and build a tree yourself. That way, your ancestors become more than just a name. Only Ancestry can tell such a rich story. I have uh, really had fun with this. My mom did this a few years ago. And, uh, lots of surprises. And, and we've talked you and I have talked to Cody Rhodes before where he learned that maybe his dad told some different tales that weren't all the way on the up and up, maybe a family myth. And if you've got full some, of shit, well, okay. So yeah, I'm excited about this because I, I know so many people, including my own mom, who's had fun with this. And I, I love it, man. Cause I, I, I same thing, but we, it verified uh, everything that we had been told through the years. And I have a Pritchard book, but Ancestry backed it all up and has provided after the fact a lot of surprises as well, which is pretty damn cool. 
check it out for yourself. Go to ancestry.com slash podcast today for 20% off your ancestry DNA kit. That's ancestry.com slash podcast for 20% off your ancestry DNA kit. One more time, ancestry.com slash podcast. And without further ado, we're going to have you fire up the WWE network, go to SummerSlam 1989, which went down August 28th. I can't believe it's been 30 years, dude. Uh, August 28th, 1989. So when you've got that network fired up, you're going to uh, hear Bruce give a little bit of a countdown. He's going to say three, two, one play. And when he has, he says, play, you're going to press play. We're off to the races, baby. And usually while we're letting everybody get everything fired up and so on and so forth, that usually, you know, I like to try and go back and, and watch it before I watch it. I'm watching this one for the first time with you. I like it. This will be fun. 30 years. 42737 dollars. $42,737 is how much equity in your house you could lose access to come September 1st. The clock is ticking. If you thought you ever might want to access the equity in your house to maybe do a home remodel, maybe put in a pool, maybe put in a man cave, upgrade your kitchen countertops, maybe a tile shower, whatever you needed to do around the house, you were probably going to use your home equity, but you'll lose access to a boatload of that on September 1st. And I'm talking to you. If you thought you ever might want to do some credit card consolidation, that's going to get a lot harder. Maybe you hope to access some home equity to help your kids buy a car, maybe cover some college tuition. The time to act is now September 1st. The federal government is going to make a whole bunch of changes that make it a lot more complicated to access your equity. And in some cases could cost you access to $42,737. Now check it out right now before it's too late at lastchancetosave.com. Now, to be clear, you don't have to close your loan by September 1st, but you do need to at least start the process. Let us run the number, see if it makes sense right now at lastchancetosave.com. That's lastchancetosave.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. If we can't help you save money, we won't waste your time. But real estate in the United States over the last two years has gone absolutely bananas, which means your house is probably worth more than ever before right now. And interest rates are about as low as they've ever been, which means there's never been a better time or a cheaper time to borrow money. It's a perfect storm to make the most of your home equity, but hurry. The rules change September 1st. This could be your last chance at lastchancetosave.com. That's lastchancetosave.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Well, I'm ready for that countdown whenever you are, Brussels. Okay, well, I got it queued up to zero, and when I'm going to say three, two, one, go, when I say go, we're going to hit play. All right. In three, two, one, go. Look at this wide shot here. I love this old SummerSlam logo. This is my shit right here, man. Absolutely, man. And this, uh, which I hope that we're going to get to live from the Meadowlands Arena, the open to this show the pre-packaged open that we did for this show i shot most of the stuff and was a whole lot of fun but uh here's tony shivani is i'm tony shivani and the mouth jesse ventura who was a little appalled having to work with tony shivani for this damn SummerSlam and letting him know so live on the air it's sort of weird to see tony shivani calling wwe i mean i know that 
you know, there's a couple of pay-per-views where it happened. Uh, in 1989, he said was the best year of his professional career. Uh, you know, he had the most fun there and felt like it was the big leagues of professional wrestling, but it still feels weird to watch him call WWF stuff and, and hold a WWF microphone. Well, here is the open and then remind me to tell you the other story on the other side about Jesse and, uh, Tony just completely, uh, flubbing it. And there was, I think that may have been Shane and Stephanie running and jumping into the pool at Vince's house. Was that the Kevin beautiful st- No, that was, uh, someone on the streets of Norwalk and, uh, someone had just gotten a brand new Maeda Mazda Maeda and we. You mean Miata? Shot them in their car. Whatever. Steve Taylor's son right there eating some ice cream. Getting him. Oh, yeah. Uh, beautiful young lady. Her name was Pam. Oh, my God. That was Ann Russo uh, playing at, uh, on the softball team. Whose kid was That's that? Kevin Dunn. There you that go. was Kevin Dunn swinging the golf club. And I have no idea who those people were. I bet you I didn't get them to sign a release either. <laughs> Yeah, some kids playing in the park. I just said, little kid, you want to be on TV? No clue. Had to be somebody's kid, though. That's how we did it back then. Dude, I love that theme song right there. I know we didn't play it. I'm going to have JoJo go add it in uh, somewhere. I just love the theme song for this show. So, So watch this, Conrad. You see this pan of the crowd? Yep. Then there's another pan of the crowd. Then there was a little tighter pan of the crowd. And in the middle of that pan of the crowd, one of the exuberant young ladies in the crowd proceeded to take her top off. Roll tight on that. And that was live on the pay-per-view. Obviously has been edited out and does not live anywhere uh, at all in any archives because it was something that I used to use many, many years ago whenever I do auditions with play-by-play guys because Tony and Jesse completely froze and did not know how to react. I'm like, just say something and get off the fucking shot. Um, but I would use that and throw that in when someone was doing it to see how they would react to the unexpected shock. And most people, you know, some people would freeze just like Jesse and Tony did. And some people would be able to comment and keep rolling right along, but it was right there in, uh, that instance where we, where we got that shot where someone was exposed the brain busters. If, uh, uh, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson against Brett and Jim, the Admiral Neidhart. Jesus Christ. Talk about four great, great workers in the ring. Yeah. I just watched this, uh, match. I think you and I watched this together. Like what? Two years ago. I know. I know Why? You, I know you and I have watched that open just randomly and you sort of broke down. Maybe it was three years ago. It was, it was a few years ago though. We sat and watched this because you had mentioned that in one of the SummerSlam openings and you couldn't remember which one, uh, that's where we could see Vince's pool. And you said, oh, Stephanie's jumping in it. And, uh, whoever was driving the Miata and. Kevin Dunn's playing God. So you remembered all of that and we found it and then, uh, it just played. And when we saw it was this match, we were like, oh shit, we're going to watch this one. Well, hell the Hart foundation, one of the better tag teams, uh, anywhere, certainly in the WWF, Bret Hart really coming into his own. And, uh, I think you could argue that 
Arn and Tully were one of the best in Jim Crockett promotions. Of course, they were very much more a tag team territory with Midnight Express and Road Warriors and Rock and Roll Express and Arn and Tully. This is good stuff. And I think Arn is one of the more criminally underrated in ring guys. And you can watch this match and see all the little stuff. That's what made him stand out. Is it not all the little nuance stuff? Yeah, I think so. And, and Arn was able to get in the ring and be a chameleon and work with just about anybody and everybody. But Arn Anderson is another guy. I think that, you know, yes, people will hear the tweets now. Oh, he was TV champion. He could whoop any TV in the, in the world. Um, but I think Arn was a better tag team wrestler than he was a single. I don't, I wouldn't argue that. I mean, I enjoyed Arn as a single, but I think he and Tully are, are maybe one of my favorite tag teams of all time. And you can't help, but wonder had, you know, Tully's departure not been what it was, what they could have done together with a longer run. Yeah. I just don't know if, if their style and really, and truly, um, it, it was, it was a different style and it was a different philosophy overall in how they worked their matches, how they cut their promos, everything about it was different than the, what they were used to. You mean in the but WWF, you mean? WWE, yeah. And getting in, and it's deceiving here because you're working with Brett and Jim where they had these great matches and they were able to work with uh, the Rockers and guys like that. So all their stuff was tremendous, but I think there were there were times that their philosophy kind of clashed with with what they liked and, uh, what they were comfortable with for all those years. And I think they were more comfortable in, in the Carolinas and, and being with Jim Crockett. You think they weren't uh, flashy enough for Vince? Were they too sort of meat and potatoes? I mean, they don't have pink tights. They don't have face paint. They don't have crazy hairdos. I don't know that they needed it. They had Bobby Heenan and it was, uh, I just don't think that they needed it really. And their shit was so believable and so good that you really enjoyed whether you knew why you enjoyed it or not. You had to enjoy their matches because they felt real and they had great psychology. Um, and it was, as you say, for both Tully and Arn, it was a little shit that mattered. And even going back here to 1989, Bret Hart, would tell a beautiful story. This match is uh, a really, really good match. Uh, if you're, if you're going to watch, if you're not going to watch this whole show and you're just going to listen, I still think you should watch this just so you can appreciate just how good the heart foundation and how good specifically Arn and Tully were here. I don't think Tully gets talked about enough. Um, talk to me about the end of Tully's or how the, the end of their run came to be and, and what you remember about Tully's drug failure and all the fallout from that. Well, I think that, you know, the, the drug failure was just more than anything, a catalyst is a way out and Tully and Arn were unhappy. They were looking to, you know, go back to Jim Crockett promotions and they were looking to get back with their friends and everybody that they knew and that they were comfortable with. So it was the perfect storm to allow them to go back and Vince knew they were unhappy and just 
felt that we had done all that we could do with Tully and Arn, and maybe it was best for them to, to leave and, and go where they were comfortable. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out that well for Tully, but Tully was a guy that you know came from San Antonio, Texas, where he was a big star because it was his dad's promotion and probably had more heat in the locker room than the hottest heel in the territory had with the crowd. But Tully was one of those guys that as much as you hated him in real life, the bell rings, the son of a bitch could go and he could get heat. He knew how to work and he knew how to go out and tell a story. But the, the man, uh, Tully Blanchard, especially, uh, early on in his career and during this time, Tully was a smart ass and Tully was very arrogant and just knew how to, you know, he knew how to piss people off in and out of the ring. This match, by the way, in the, uh, torch gets a B grade. Wade would say this was steadily paced opener. That was satisfying. However, maybe a bit too long. They're going to go 14 minutes. I liked it. I, again, shit. I'm, I'm watching it now and it's absolutely fantastic. And I think that the, the pace is a good one because they're telling a wrestling story and they're having a wrestling match where they're, oh my God, someone's actually grabbing a hold and working a hold. So it, it becomes to the point of what kind of fan are you? Do you want to watch the wrestling matches? Do you want the Gaga? And I think most people would say, I want both. Nice little, uh, double team. Yeah. And the crowd's into it, man. They are, you know, cause you've got Bobby Heenan out there solidified as a heel and able to get the response, even if there isn't one there. But this was during the time too, trying to establish Brett Neidhart as baby faces and they were due on the baby face side. So it was, people were still trying to figure out what the hell was going on with them. But it, uh, again, beautiful story with the blind tag, totally tagging Arn in as Brett comes in and bam, now we're ready to set the heat with Arn Anderson beating the shit out of Brett. It's an interesting dynamic between these two tag teams and that, you know, while, while Neidhart was a good performer, I think everybody knows that the star of the team was Bret Hart. He was certainly the standout and, and, uh, the big performer of the two. I don't know that that's necessarily a dynamic that exists with the brain busters. I feel like Arn and Tully are sort of equal footing. Yeah, they were equal footing and they were interchangeable. And the star of the team was really in this incarnation, Bobby Heenan. Right. Um, but as far as workers and who's going to stand out in the ring, I think that they were equal in that regard and, and fairly interchangeable. Both of both Tully and Arn were great. Bobby Heenan just added a, a sense of realism and believability to whatever the hell he was doing, whether it was on the outside of the ring or behind the microphone to where he, he was in the moment and made you, made you believe. It's sort of fun to look back and, and say, Hey, what if, because, uh, in June of 89, Barry Wyndham pops up here in the WWF as the widow maker. And the Widowmaker, the Bull of the Woods, baby. It's just fascinating to me that, you know, you, and you've talked about this before, that SummerSlam 88, 
it was discussed and your brother love segment was supposed to feature the debut of Ric Flair and had Flair come in at SummerSlam 88 at this point, technically you could have had Arn Tully, Barry Windham and Ric Flair. The four horsemen would have been in the WWF and their manager, by the way, I guess it's worth mentioning JJ Dillon is there too, in a front office capacity. But imagine if, if that version of the four horsemen had Bobby Heenan as a manager, holy cow. Well, yeah, that would have been a hell of a stable, but uh, you know, again, at the time, I think Rick always just used to use the negotiations and those scare tactics to solidify and get better deals wherever the hell he was, uh, which is why Rick didn't come in. And I think that just, that was the norm at that time. Hey, Rick wants to come in. Rick wants to come in. You talk to him for a little while and he'd say yes until he got a better deal where he was. And he would just say. I think, um, you guys debuted Wyndham in June and he's undefeated for like four months. And I think you guys are even planning on him being on Randy Savage's survivor series team, or that's certainly the rumor in innuendo, but he winds up being replaced by earthquake when Wyndham leaves in October over the counterfeiting scandal, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we cover survivor series 89. Yeah, but Barry wasn't involved involved in that scandal at the time. No, it was no, just I, the, the I, I association with his family. When you when half your family is going to prison, you probably won't take one time off. Well, I never had half my family go to prison. Not me neither. I'm just freestyling, and it's not an unreasonable request. Guys want to go no. home when their wife's having a baby, or you know, my dad's going to prison. Whatever. <laughs> my dad and brother are going to prison. Uh. It's a shame to uh, look in the ring and Morella's no longer with us. Bobby's no longer with us. Anvil's no longer with us. We just lost him about a year ago. Yeah. When you go back and, and watch something 30 years prior, it, it does. It makes you sad because I would like to believe that we're all, um, good guy at this point. I'm only 25 years old and thinking, Everybody is, is just the same age and they stay there. They stay that way forever. And that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Neidhart here is only uh, 34 years old. I think, um, I think Brett's like 31 or 32 and Arn Anderson. I feel like Arn Anderson was born 40 years old. Yes. But in fact, he's, uh, he's 30 here, which you would not guess. Look at him. Yeah, well, Marty Lundy. I remember Arn when Arn first broke in as under his real name, Marty Lundy, with the bleach blonde hair and the beard, with uh, as a tag team with Matt Bourne. And I never, I just never, you know, with the exception of of this this stint, and I never got to got to work with Arn any for any length of time ever. And um, even when he was an agent with you guys. And- well, I just saw him at TV. Yeah. And he was, he was an agent producer. So I, it just was very little interaction for the most part other than friendly and Hey, how you doing? And you want to take a ride around the uh, parking lot of the bar in Indianapolis or something like that. <laughs> not that, not that that ever happened or allegedly. Well, I'm just saying it's a, it's a hypothetical. Sure. By the way, I, uh, 
Can you believe that, uh, I finally convinced Arn to do a podcast? Oh boy. Well, good luck with that. Oh, really? You don't think it's going to be good? I hope it's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Arn has uh, always played everything very, very close to the vest and is going to open up and tell some stories for the first time. I mean, Arn's old school. He doesn't even have social media. Well, there you go. Speaking of old school, look at these two old timers going at it, Brett and Tully. And the the thing that I really liked about the Hart Foundation during this time is they were baby faces, but they worked like heels. Just probably why they were such good baby faces. Brett cleaning house and got by God, there's that baby face comeback that he always likes to make. Gotta throw that drop kick in for good measure. What do you think of the, uh, the way the crowd is lit here? This is, uh, the WWF is really the first wrestling company to, to do extensive lighting like this for television. Well, to me, I always liked it and it's what it just highlights the crowd and gives you a good backdrop when you're looking at that versus a dark, you know, just a black, black, you know, kind of dull backdrop. I think for the television audience, it is not nearly as exciting to seeing the crowd and everything around them. Um, I know a lot of people would argue that, and we've tried it different ways. But when you look at it on television, I think it just adds a adds a hell of a backdrop and, and makes it three-dimensional because you can see the audience and that crowd in the background. Not only does it look better aesthetically, uh, to have sort of an interesting backdrop, but in addition to that, it also has a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, social proof, a little bandwagon effect. Like, golly, look how many people there are there. This is a big attraction. Sure. And, and you can see, you know, everything going on. And part of that, that appeal is, boy, I'll go to a big event and I'll be on camera. Hopefully they're going to see me. Hey, look for me. I'm in the throw. Who was making the gear for the boys at this point? They, you know, during this time, they had their own people that, that did most of the stuff. Um, like Bobby had someone that did all of his jackets. How about that for a unique move? That's something you didn't see very often. The nice little reverse, uh, body slam. Good shit. And just a typical, great, simple, absolutely simple heel move with the switch and, uh, and then Arn covers up his, his flesh covered yarmulke. So you can't tell that it's him. He's not the legal man, but they steal a pin. Love that finish. If you're going to watch one match on the show, I would recommend it be this one. Can't believe Wade gave this a B. This is an A to me. Absolutely. Well, there you go. That kind of tells you. I'm wrestling tabloids. I'm admittedly a mark though for Arn and Tully. Now, Arn and Tully were a hell of a tag team. They really were. I mean, look at this, though. This is uh, a fun deal where, yeah, it's a whatever move off the top rope. But the little nuanced stuff with Arn is what always stood up, like covering his bald spot with Brett's arm. So you can't tell, is that Arn or is it Tully? And there you go. There's your victory. Absolutely. And now are we going to go to the infamous... Sign drop. I bet you that it's, if it is, it's edited out of the, uh, 
the network stuff. No, it's not. Oh. The American Dream, baby. Here I'm funky like a monkey. I got my little, got my little security guard hat on. Everybody, let me Gene know that it's time for American Dream, the common man. I'm going to give me a little bit of that big boss man and let him know just just what he's in for with all my polka dots. We're going to dance. We're going to have some fun. We're going to get a little funky like a monkey G mean. And I'm going to give him a, a ass-whooping American Dream style. And maybe I'm going to take that, that nice stick of his. I'm going to shove it with the sun don't shine. And then everybody's going to be saying, dream, baby. Dream, what you going to do? I'm going to say I'm going to put my polka dots on and we're going to dance all night long, baby. Because that is what it is, baby. Why is your Dusty so good? Because I've been doing American Dream Dusty Rose since I can remember. Literally, when I, literally, literally, literally. When I was, there's no shit, man. I bet you I was seven, eight years old and I was doing Dusty Rhodes interviews when he would come to Houston and I would imitate him then. And it just, I guess, got better as time went on and being around him, the, the nuances, if you will, baby. I was a honky tonk man. And this was a fun promotion with, with honky and, uh, and Dusty. When they did the sing-off, which is absolutely classic, and, and Honky did Honky shit, and then Dusty was going to do uh, Johnny Be Good, and we shot it in the studio, and as I'm sitting there listening to it, I said, hey, Vince, I said, what if instead of Johnny Be Good, we change the lyrics to Dusty Be Good? And I started fucking with the lyrics, and I, I went in, and I said, hey, Dream, I said, you think you can, uh... and by the way, Dusty thought he was great. Of course. Little baby, this is going to sell millions. I said, well, what if we, we change the lyrics from Johnny Be Good to, to Dusty Be Good? Got it, baby. And it's the one and only time that I think Honky Tonk Man actually sounded good singing versus Dusty. <laughs> it was so bad. He's just a common man. I think a few years ago, uh, Honky tried to sell this jumpsuit for like, 25 grand on eBay. Was it the blue one? I uh, know he, he had a red one for sale. Oh, okay. And it's funny because people started like tagging me in it. Like, dude, I, I, I collect cool stuff. I'm not arguing that, but 25 G's for the fucking honky tonk jumpsuit. Nah. That blue one, I think cost him 10 G's. Well, he overpaid. No, it was a nice one. That was a heavy one. A lot of work in that one. The, uh, I love dusty roads. I know that a lot of people, including my, my old school wrestling friends who are big fans of mid Atlantic championship wrestling and Jim Crockett promotions. They fucking hate dusty and the polka dots, but this is the first dusty I saw. Like I started watching wrestling in 88 and I was all about the WWF. And so by 89, I was knee deep in WWF and I started to come around to WCW, but by that point, dusty's gone. So. This version of Dusty is the first version I saw, so I was always a big fan of it. It was great. Dusty in polka dots is absolutely great. 
and it was it was the most fun and without a doubt rejuvenated his career. Not just the polka dots, but Dusty having fun with his character and being the character that the people loved. What a fucking cool shot that is. Who would have who would have done that shot? We just saw that wide swooping shot across the crowd that just panned across and, and landed on the ring. I don't fuck if I know. Well, I mean, Colonel was directing. That's what I needed to know. So, like in in this time in this era, eighty nine. What is what is Kevin Dunn doing at the actual day of the show, and then what is what is Kerwin doing? Kevin was probably uh, with the commentators at the commentator and and just uh, directing directing them at at the commentary station, giving them cues and and what have you. Um, but Kerwin was in the truck, and he was the one that was directing. But yeah, for for the live events and that stuff at this time, uh, KD was, was on the floor with commentators, making sure they knew where the hell they were. I bet, uh, some of our listeners would probably be shocked to hear that the honky tonk man has, uh, well, another famous wrestling relative, Jerry, the kink Lawler. Did she just say the kink King baby? Kingfish. Kingfish. This some bitch won't grow old. Jerry Lawler, I think, is like 109 years old. And still looks like he's only uh, 72. No, King looks great, actually. King King doesn't age. It's, it's fucked up. Look at them polka dots. Check out my ass full of polka dots, baby. Look at that shim. Are you okay? I am the honky tonk man. Greatest intercontinental champion of all time right there. The honky tonk man, heartbreak hotel, baby. Your referees, Freddie Sparta. Yeah. I was going to ask you about him. I don't know. I don't know this guy. What do you, what do you, what can you tell us about Freddie? Freddie Sparta, uh, from, he's not from Boston. He's, he's like from, uh, Worcester or Lemonster. One of them stirs. Uh, up in Massachusetts. One of say, them stirs. One of them stirs. Lancaster, Lemonster, Worcester, Shitster, something like that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy, my belly. He got me right. He got me right now, my little splotch. Referee. Referee, he hit me that megaphone right in my splotch. Oh, shit. I hope it don't rupture and burst. That was all his weakness of Dusty. He's always bruised. What? I'm not saying anything. Okay. I think you are inside. I am a little. <laughs> man, how great is uh, Jimmy Hart? Hardest working man in the, in the company at this point, probably. Yeah, I'd say it was a tie between uh, Jimmy and Bobby on the outside. Jimmy was just high energy all the time. Just never ever failed. Why the uh why the decision to sort of move away from uh managers? I think it was just more than anything an extra body on the road that, that didn't work, but I think that a lot of times that 
that managers are just as important, if not more important, a lot of times than the talent they manage. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm getting ready to go sleepy by. I'm going to go sleepy by. And if you notice, the the slendering look on Dusty is because he, he always shaved his stomach and chest to kind of like slim him down a little bit. Wait. Getting rid of the body hair makes you slimmer? Oh, yeah. You shave that shit, Conrad, people going to be thinking you're like 200 pounds with a 32-inch waist. I don't think that's going to happen, actually. No. You shave it and you watch and see what happens. You know, Orrin says, uh, if you can't tone it, tan it, because tan fat looks better than pale fat. I've said that for years. I got that from Arthur Morowitz, uh, king of the adult film industry. So wait, an adult fat film? looks better brown than white. So in the adult film industry, they, they tell the performers, Hey, uh, putting on a few LBs, go get a tan. Well, fuck. Yeah. You ain't going to get, you ain't going to win no championships. If you aren't tan, you and I had a conversation once about the similarities between the adult film industry and professional wrestling. Yeah. Well, do you want to explain? Well, it could be very similar. I'm just saying they're, they're working there too. <laughs> I mean, they are calling spots. Some guys, they predict a little earlier. There's always a hot finish. Yep. And uh, there's a, and look, and there was a day back in the day when they would call it in the bed and <laughs> now every goddamn thing is scripted for them. Exactly. You know what to do, how to do it, when to do it. They can't even improvise anymore. Back in the day, they'd slow down, tell a story. Yeah. This day it's just high spot after high spot. Nobody's selling shit. Yeah, it's hard to keep up. There's storylines, there's costumes. Yeah. Yeah, they've just ruined the business. <laughs> People used to pay for it and now everything's free thanks to the damn internet. Exactly. Exactly. Honky, honky goes right back to that reverse chin lock. Look at all that air in between there. Come on, baby. Uh, come with me. Help me. Because if you clap, if you clap, please clap for me. So I can start pumping my arm here in a minute. I'm letting you know I need some help. I got my hand up. I'm starting to shake. The more you shake, I'm going to shake. Ooh, and then everything going to shake. I got the puppies shaking. I got oh everything shaking, baby. What's wrong with you? What? Uh, Wade, would say, Wade would say this was a pretty poor bout since Dusty was ducked out in polka dots. The fans love Dusty Rhodes, who really has found his niche in the WWF. And they get 10 minutes. He gives this one a D. Oh, fuck him. You have got to admit, this has been the most entertaining match we've seen so far. No. Yeah, it is. Look at him go. Ooh, flip flop and fly, baby. That's a big man bouncing around there. I'm telling you that right now. Dusty Rhodes, people fucking like to make fun of the way Dusty fucking looked and all this shit and everything. He was an incredible athlete. I mean, incredible. He could move when he wanted to. He just was a little bit bigger than everybody else. Yeah, I love his old promo. My belly's just a little big. My honey's just a little big, but I'm bad and they know I'm bad. 
Ref bump in your second match. This is starting to feel like a WWF show now. Oh hell. I hope that, that Jimmy Hart just keep Oh no no. He's he's he the megaphone didn't phase him. We're going for the big guns here. This is uh before the Jeff Jarrett Balsawood guitars too. Oh my. Oh my. Look at the crowd. It's such a simple spot, but the crowd just went bananas for that. Because of the polka dots. You tell me that audience didn't like them fucking polka dots. Look at that shit. Virgil Riley run of the third, baby. Man, yes, crowd, I just whooped that honky tonk man. Crowd was really into that one, dude. Next up, it's uh, gonna be, well, a match between two guys who inspired a conversation very early on here in our something to wrestle series. Mr. Perfect and the Red Rooster. And of course, Terry Taylor has told folks that they just drew the wrong name out of the uh, box of gimmicks. And when they were passing out gimmicks that day, Kurt got Mr. Perfect and he got the Red Rooster. And Hong Tong man right here looking for Scylla. Scylla, I'm coming home. Help me find a stage. I'm a little confused. Yeah, yeah. That, that, thank you, Scylla. I'm, 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 I'm a coming. Oh, he's just a common man. Yes, he is. Yes, he is, baby. You hear him? You hear him? They ain't never gonna stop for the dream, baby. It's weird too nope. when you think about, you know, the the fact that Tony Schiavone is calling this, and in the opening match you got Arnie Tully, and in the second match you got Dusty. And in just a second, you're about to have Terry Taylor. Uh, there's a lot of familiar names here for Tony Schiavone. Well, that's good. That helps him. He needs help. What do you think that referee's doing these days? I don't know. I think he's living in Florida, right outside of Tampa. Look at this shit here. We got demolition. By the way. Do you know how old I was before I realized this demolition shit? You guys were, were peddling like S and M to us. And I had no idea. How are we peddling S and M to you? Well, they're wearing leather and spikes and that's what demolition men wear. Yeah. Well, I get that, but uh, they also look like they're here for the cock and ball torture convention. They've got a gimp in a box. I don't even know what that is. Well, I'm just saying if they had zippers on their, on their leather masks, I mean, process this motherfucker leather masks. I had no idea. I'm fucking seven, eight. I don't know. I don't think Hacksaw knew either. What do you think of Hacksaw putting the little crown on his two by four decking out the two by four. He's got the mask on and he's got the crown. And then he's going to take that mask off in a minute and reveal he's painted his face too. Hacksaw was into this shit. Wasn't he? He is gimmicked out. looks like DDP in 95. Plus you got the, uh, stars and stripes two by four. That's King Duggan. And ho. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Perfect. No, no ring entrance already in the ring. Got to keep this shit moving, man. Well, you're going to keep it moving here. They only get three minutes in this match, but look who does get an entrance. So. Fuck me running. (laughs) 
does everybody have a Terry Taylor story? I just don't know how the fuck he thinks he was supposed to be Mr. Perfect. What do you think of, uh, the presentation, the red spikes in the hair, the jacket. Well, if he would have kept it going, it it probably might've had a chance to get over if he'd actually worked the damn gimmick. Well, what was the gimmick besides bobbing his head back and forth? Like he's a cocky rooster. He should crow. He does. Okay, good. He goes er, 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 and throws feathers in the air. And he should. It's crazy to think that, you know, Mr. Perfect before he's here, AWA world champion, one of the better in-ring performers in the business. And Terry Taylor was developing a bit of a reputation, but a lot of people who would be critical of Terry would say, rather than sort of trying to find his own identity, he was basically doing Ric Flair cosplay. What say you? I would agree with that statement. I think that the Terry emulated Rick and I mean, look at him. If, if you were to take his head off, the boots are exactly the, exactly the same trunks, knee pads, everything from, from the neck down is Ric Flair. Yeah. He's got RR on his boots for red rooster. He's got little initials on his trunks, just like flair. He's wearing the knee pads below the knee. Just like flair. Yeah, exactly. Getting ready to get beat by Mr. Perfect, just like Flair. Oh God, what's wrong with you? Well, well. Hey, by the way, I cannot help but, but cover this with you. I was, you know, there's no observer posted from 1989, and I'm sure somewhere in one of my hard drives I've got these issues. But it was very easy to find the torch, so uh, we're using the torch for today's episode. And oh God, this is one of the reports, uh, either the episode or the issue before or after SummerSlam. This is word for word. The hottest rumor of the past two weeks was that the ultimate warrior either died of a heart attack. He never missed a date. So the rumors weren't true. So let me report it. (laughs) This folks, none of this happened. And this is a complete lie. Just like 98% of the rest of everything I'm writing. And completely made up, but let me report it. And then I'll tell you up. They decided he decided against dying and now he's alive. Surprised he didn't word it that way. I don't know why, but he didn't miss any dates. So the rumors weren't true. That fucking tickled me. Hey, uh, turns out he's not dead. He still made all the shows. Damn. Might've been an imposter. There was that rumor for many years too. Oh, dude. Tons. Like I remember in school, people were like, well, the first ultimate warrior dead. This is, uh, this is a new one. Yeah. And, and I guess it was because, you know, when he came back, he was doing his, his face paint a little differently. He was wearing his gear a little differently. And most importantly, he had lost quite a bit of size. So people thought, well, this is another one that he's the real one's gone. No, unfortunately, the real one was still around. In a perfect plex, and we have a victor. If only that had been Terry and Kurt be the Red Rooster. Three minutes least, here. Kurt is, would have made the Red Rooster work. Uh, it got a D. Uh, Wade would say it was a very good series of fast moves in the opening minutes, followed by a perfect plex to end it. Rooster was limping after the bout, so he may have called for a quicker finish than planned. 
He's just selling though. He's not hurt, huh? Ah, uh, who knows? I hope I, I would have hoped it wouldn't have gone that long. You're just fucking not a Terry Taylor fan at all. I'm a Mr. Perfect fan. Oh, everybody. Yes. So if he had only gotten that gimmick, then things might be different. Yeah, sure. Zeus. How about, how about the survivor series? You know, the, this is back in the era of the big four. So the Royal rumble in January. WrestleMania, of course, late March, early April. Uh, and then we're going to pop up for SummerSlam here, usually towards the end of August. And then around Thanksgiving Survivor Series. These days, it feels like, you know, there is a major show every three weeks. Oh, here's the famous skit right here where the sign's going to fall. Let's play the audio here for this. But I bet it doesn't fall on this one. Man, where are the Intercontinental you think it's going to fall? Belt? I, I bet they've cleaned it up route. and put the, well, put the only man, one on there. Promises are made to be broken along with arms, legs, necks, and hearts. Yeah, it, it fell. Tonight, no, this is, this is the, slam, the good one that actually was supposed to air in place of the bad one. Hmm, I got you. Because the, the bad one, I believe, was supposed to air, it was supposed to be the first pre-tape of the night. And so it aired accidentally, accidentally. And then, and so probably for Coliseum home video, they fixed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tell everybody you know, at home who, who may not be familiar. I, I don't know how that's possible that you're listening to this show. And you don't know what we're talking about. Explain what we're talking about. Well, there was a pre-tape that was done, uh, with Rick rude and Bobby Heenan. And in the middle of the pre-tape, right when Gene like threw to Rick rude, the SummerSlam sign in the background just fell to the ground. And what did Okerlund say? Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. Goddamn props. People put this shit together and just proceeded to bury everything. So it was great. Absolutely wonderful. I love that shot. The rockers are here. It's wild to see, uh, a young Shawn Michaels are going to be teaming up with uh, Tito Santana. And the Rougeos and marvelous Rick Martell. Here he's the model, isn't he? I don't think he is yet. Not yet? No, because he's he didn't have the fragrance. He didn't have the, the glasses, the sweater. He's just a heel Rick Martell. Yeah, he's just a Quebecois. Quebecois Rick Martell. With the Quebecois Quebecers, a la Jacques and Ramon. Raymond Rougeau will go down as one of the nicest guys ever in the wrestling business. Probably too nice to be in the wrestling business. Boy, that is not the case for his tag team partner, though. Jacques could carry a little heat. That's the thing. I've never had a a cross interaction with either, but goddamn, everybody has some sort of. uh, a story about Jacques having heat, but I don't know that he's ever actually done anything to anybody that uh, is it just his personality. It's just things he says, or uh, he has a weird demeanor or, or why does Jacques have so much heat? I think that Jacques, uh, first of all, being French Canadian, I think that sometimes his use of the English language, maybe he just comes across as arrogant. Jacques actually a very nice guy. And he just 
can rub you the wrong way sometimes. He speaks what's on his mind. He doesn't hold back, but he can just rub people the wrong way. There are those people that, that just, no matter what they do or what they say, you don't care for them. And Jacques is one of those people. Uh, Raymond, on the other hand, I, I would defy you to find someone who would say anything bad about him. Uh, stand up guy, class all the way, but just a pure, true gentleman. And like I said, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the business. Same thing with Tito Santana. That's why, that's why Tito won't shake his hand. He doesn't like him. Grab a quiet pace. I just shake my hand. Talk to me about Rick Martell. Uh, I've always been curious, like, why is he not in the WWE Hall of Fame? Is there something I'm missing? Well, you know what? I asked about Rick last time we were in Montreal, and I believe that Rick has been approached about being in the Hall of Fame. I don't know that for a fact, so I may be speaking out of my ass here. But I asked, you know, why Rick doesn't come around and why we don't hear about Rick and um, I was told that, that Rick is out of the business and has no desire to do anything, uh, in the business whatsoever, that that part of his life is over. And I think he does real estate now and manages stuff and buys real estate. And that's, that's it that, um, he, it's not that he's bitter or anything like that, just that he's moved on and doesn't want to revisit that part of his life. So I think that Rick Martell is definitely Hall of Fame worthy. And again, when you talk about really good guys, Rick Martell is in that class too, because he's just, you'd find some people hard pressed to find anybody to say anything negative about Martell. I talked to, uh, probably shouldn't say the name, but someone in the front office of a major wrestling company in the last I don't know, three or four months. And he says his favorite all-time wrestler was Rick Martell. I've never heard that before. I mean, I've always thought Rick was a fine performer, but it's one of those deals. I guess when you're growing up, you know, you sort of like who you like and you gravitate to a certain performer and his favorite all-time wrestler, Rick Martell. And Rick was great, great wrestler, man. And especially I think in obviously for the AWA, he was AWA world champion. Right. Um, so for, for that area, man, he was always on top. He was always one of those guys that was around that was a fan favorite and never, you know, wavered one way or the other. And then when Rick came in to WWE and the tag team and all that bullshit, and he just, he's so smooth and so good. Um, it's kind of like, what's, what's to dislike, right? Uh, the model thing was tremendous and he played that off perfectly, but it's, uh, yeah, I could definitely see that. Why don't you think he had more single success? I mean, he obviously had some, some pretty memorable feuds here as a single star. You know, the thing I remember most is his match with, uh, Jake Roberts, the silly blindfold match that we've talked about here before, but. You know, it feels like in an era where the intercontinental championship was sort of the quote unquote workers belt, he would have been a prime candidate for that. But 
he doesn't have the opportunity. I mean, he did have a couple of a tag title runs, but no singles gold. Was was Rick Martel ever considered for a run with the IC? I'm sure he was. And, you know, Rick, the one thing that held Rick back was his ability to cut promos. But at the same time, this is the era where you, you slap a manager with him. You know, you guys have 38 different managers on the roster. And, and we did. We had Slick with him. But it, it still, it was... If you could cut your own promos and you could go out and get that kind of heat and be able to project that. But Rick with the model gimmick um, didn't need it at that point. But I do think that Rick Martell is one of those guys that the championship may have it may have helped him uh, just give bring him up another notch. Kind of like it did with Tito Santana. Same, same thing. Uh but I think the Intercontinental Championship did help Tito and take Tito to the next step. But uh, I don't know with Rick. I just don't know that they never pulled the trigger and he was always able to survive and, and be just fine as Rick Martel without a championship. Now Jacques coming in and, of course, wonderful Rougeau's. Man... The Rougeos, when they did the, were just, you know, we're all American boys. Good God. You talk about heat and they were, they were so easy to hate. And for Raymond, it was a stretch to try and get him to be a heel. But for Jacques, it was always just Jacques, you be you. I don't understand. Qu'est-ce que c'est? But there's, you know, two of the two of the best, you know, unsung heroes of of the time in Rick Martel and Tito Santana that just were workhorses that you could always depend on, no matter where you put them in the card. Wade loved this match. He said the finish was fantastic with a lot of close pinfalls. I was on the edge of my seat and really thought the finish made this match. The bulk of the match was only average. He gave it a B. So the finish coming up here. You're really, really going to like, apparently. Well, we'll see about that. We'll judge this shit, man. By the way, next up, uh, this is the last match before intermission, which I can't wait to talk about, but the ultimate warrior and Rick rude. It's going to be, uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Why? Well, you know, I know every time we talk about the ultimate warrior, you can't wait to shit on him. And, and that's not true. Again. Okay. We said, we said earlier today that there was a rumor that he died and he said, unfortunately it was the same one. Not that, no, you read that, you took that completely the wrong way. Okay. How should I have taken that? Well, not that way. Okay. So I think most people. Uh, remember, uh, but maybe you should catch him up. What's the backstory here with Rick Martel and Tito Santana? Rick Martel and Tito Santana were strike force and, uh, Tito still wearing the strike force trunks with the little, um, lightning bolt on his trunks and they broke up their, their tag team, but, uh, they were tag team partners for a long time, had a nice successful run as tag team champions. It was originally Rick Martell and Tom Zink. And what the hell was their name? Do you remember their name? Can-Am Connection? 
Can-Am connection. And they broke up probably about a week after I came into the company. Look what you did. You broke them up. You bastard. I broke them up. That's what I do. So it was, um, Tito and Rick took off from there and then they had a, a falling out. And of course the rockers, because they're, they're rockers and the Quebecers, they like that classical Quebec music. That's an, that's a, just a natural rivalry. And this was during the time that the rockers were also really coming into their own because they're, they're new back in the company and jury's still out on, are they going to succeed? Are they going to be all right? And they were stealing the show every night in house shows, no matter who you put them with, the rockers would usually have the best, the best match on the card. And of course the star of the rockers would have to be Marty Jannetty that everybody felt would go on the singles stardom. The other guy, not a lot there. Sean Michaels, he'll never amount to No, I don't know that he's long for this world. Yeah. No. Nah, what do you think is, uh, do you think there's any hope for Marty Jannetty? It feels like he's going through a tough time right now. Well, what do you mean? Hope as far as. Well, it feels like, you know, if you, if you follow his social media, it feels like he's definitely struggling with some substance stuff. And I know he's sort of had a lot of stops and starts there. You think he can pull the nose up on that? I sure hope so. I do too. And and I think that Marty, Marty's a survivor. And I think that Marty, you know, will come around and obviously there there's help for him out there if he wants it. Um, but Marty's a strong guy, and I, I think that he's also a stubborn son of a bitch. So deep down, I know Marty wants help, and I think if he will just get it, I think that, that Marty would be okay. I, I really do. I hope he is because he's he's a good human being deep down, and I just hope he gets everything together. I really do. That was a flying burrito, as uh, <laughs> I was waiting on Jesse just... Ventura used to call it. The things that Jesse would say then would never fly <laughs> today. By the way, uh, high praise from Wade Keller about the announcing here. He says, uh, a Shivani, uh, oh, let me back it up. Uh, Tony Schiavone was a little disappointing to me. I thought he was good, but below his average. However, this was his first time working with Jesse Ventura, who was as good as always. A Schiavone Ventura team has potential to be the best, but it will take some experience together first. Yeah, they needed repetition. They just needed some reps, man, and get out there, which they didn't have going into this. And I don't think that there was that comfort uh, with Tony that Jesse had with Vince was this, um, was this Vince's, we know that, that Tony's going to call the Royal rumble 1990, but that may or may not be because Vince was partying on the boat too long and really wasn't up to it that day. So Tony, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Tony Schiavone says that he was not supposed to call Royal rumble 1990. And the day of Vince said, did you bring your tuxedo? And he said, yes. And he said, you're calling the show. I can't do it. 
Okay. And the rumor and innuendo is that, uh, he had been enjoying the sun and the beach and the sand and the boat, maybe a little too much the day before. Yeah. I have no idea if that's true or not. So you're saying Shivani's a lot. No, you see, you reported it as fact, kind of like the tabloid newsletter people do when it's just rumor and innuendo. And so, so the rumor and innuendo is, which said, secondly, that, that Tony Shivani, that's hearsay saying shit from Tony Shivani. Okay. Is this going to be uh, shit on all my co-host day? No. Let's, uh, you know, last week you said something about JR and today you're already like, oh, good luck with Arn. <laughs> And now you're like, oh, that's hearsay from Tony. Uh, let's see. Uh, what about Eric Bischoff? What do you think he was doing here in 1989? Thinking about how he would uh, steal talent in a few years. There we go. We're checking all the boxes today. Thief, thief and motherfucker. Thief and motherfucker. I mean, right about this time, he's, he's selling Ninja Star shit in uh, Minnesota, <laughs> no? Hey. <laughs> Ninja star shit. Have I missed anybody? Uh, you know, I don't think you've shit on Jim Cornette today. Oh, fuck corny. Goddamn. No, cause then he'll fire back and. Oh yeah. Damn. It'll, it'll be, it'll be, a, it'll be Twitter for fucking ever. Did you see a few weeks ago where he had a legit fucking Twitter meltdown. and was just firing off at everybody. No, it's uh fire off at me. No, he usually just shits on you on the podcast. Okay. Here we go. Man, look at the crowd. The crowd is really into this. This is what must be what Wade was talking about. They're hot for this. By the way, if you want to know if Hulk Hogan's over, just look around at all the fucking yellow and red. It's in every row. Yeah, I think Hulkster uh, was going to get over. Yeah, I think he was doing all right there at this point in the game. I know that you hate talking about money, but freestyle, what do you think he made in 89? Oh, God, I have no idea, but I'm probably well over 10 million. Uh, no, five million, but he made millions. Yeah. I'm sure he made millions. That was a good finish. A lot of shit going on. Who would have been, uh, helping the guys put together matches? Who would have been agents in this era? During this time you had Pat Patterson, Jack Lanza, uh, chief J strongbow, Tony Gurria, Rene Goulet. Besides, um, besides Pat, who was like, who was the go-to guy who was second command? Like if you need a hot finish, you go to this guy. I would say Lanza and, and Strongbow, but, but Strongbow became just very, you know, Warriors not going to sell shit. Um, it would be, uh, you know, it, it depended on what type of match it was really. I love this build here. Of course, we're seeing a clip here from Royal Rumble 1989 at the summit in Houston. And he's got this, uh flex bar where they were doing like a pose off and I was choking out the ultimate warrior with it. But at first Bobby Heenan sprayed, what was it? Suntan lotion? Sun, sun, sand no, it was the oil that, that, uh, rude was using the oil up in between poses. And here of course is what happened at WrestleMania five. Bobby Heenan trips him, holds the leg. He can't kick out. So as a result, ravishing Rick rude wins the intercontinental championship that Warrior beat Honky Talk Man for at last year's SummerSlam. But you've uh, always had fun telling the story about that Royal Rumble skit from 1989 where they're doing the pose off and Bobby spraying Warrior. And Warrior doesn't even realize he's being sprayed. 
Doesn't sell he's it. He's got at his all, eyes closed and his mouth open. Doesn't even realize that that's the spot where he's getting blinded. But every once in a while, like this, we we did you know as part of a, a prime time wrestling angle. We said, okay, this happened on prime time uh, with Rude attacking Warrior. And and again, as much as you know, I like to pick on Warrior as far as his his working ability or lack thereof. Uh, you, you could not deny that son of a bitch had charisma and personality that was over like Rover, um, and the audience loved him. So, just go show you the greatest workers in the world. It really doesn't matter as long as you got that charisma and and. By God, the people were eating it up. It's good shit. And now we're starting the uh, kind of the cross program from Rude, who got Warrior ready to Andre. Oh, I don't like you. I've told the the Uncle Elmer Andre story, haven't I? I don't know. Well, Uncle Elmer. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of lost read there a little bit. Is this uh? No. Tell everybody how these women were picked from the crowd again. Well, they were just chosen at random. Uh, a lot of actually back in this day, day and time, they were chosen chosen at random a lot of times by by people. The hey, would you like to get? do the rude awakening with Rick rude and get kissed and we'd bring them in. Sometimes it'd be somebody's friend, but for the most part, we'd go in the audience and pick them. How much did warrior love working with, uh, or did rude love working with warrior? Uh, rude hated working with warrior, but rude made good money working with warrior and rude knew that that was his job to get him over. And that's how rude looked at it. Watch the way he drops this guy. Yeah. He's going to drop this guy. I yeah. think this is the skit, if I remember right. Yeah. Just... <laughs> no protection, no nothing. Just fuck him, sack of shit. Yeah. Ooh, I choke you now. You know want to sell? I give you something to sell. Now, yeah, you know, here's here's the thing. You look at those two guys, who do you think the strongest would be by looks? Oh, warrior for sure. Yeah. Not even remotely close. I would say Andre was probably 10 times stronger. Let's, uh, let's just play the audio here. Let's let the fans listen to this warrior promo. From all the street tickets and all the rubber rooms across these weak planets, and you, Andre the Giant, will realize that the power will become the eighth wonder of the world as we eat you alive. But you, ravishing Rick Rude, as I promised, you will surrender to the gods above as I beat you. One, two, three. Let's go back to the arena. Well, there was that. Yeah, there was that. What's your favorite warrior promo? That one right there. Yeah. I can understand it. I like the old load the rocket ship. So, uh, this is, I tell you the bet. The best warrior shit was when he, when he became WWE champion and, and just some of the, the, 
the totally nonsensical, I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about promos. To me, those were the most fun. Take a look at uh, Rick Rude's belt. If they show it from behind again, they've got just extra rows of snaps here because his waist is so small that, uh, they had to add several more snaps just so he could wear it. That's, that's the shape he's in here. Yeah. Rude was always in great shape. And, and of course, Rude, you know, here, this is the, that journey to, to get warrior into a position of, you know, drawing and, and make him be the man. Um, so much so that after this, when rude would take his hiatus, rude knew that, you know, coming back that, that that was going to be his job to get warrior over his champion. And, and rude took it seriously. Rude looked at it as this was his job to make this guy look good. And I think that Rick rude without a doubt is probably, if you were going to pick one person that, that made the ultimate warrior, you have to look at Rick rude. Number one, uh, honky tonk man is up there because honky just, you know, did the, did the right job the right way. The first night in a year ago at SummerSlam and, and rude did it all the way through and made it consistently made him believable and put him on the map. And then, then there's Andre the giant. But look at the crowd go banana. Oh, they love the ultimate warrior. It's, uh, the music, the entrance, the face paint, the muscles, the neon colors. And as you would say, and then the bell rang. Yeah. But again, give me this shit. I'm good. This, this frenetic entrance and everybody's on their feet. They, they believed. Yes, they did. And they believe because the shit hurt and it was real. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, God damn, it looks like Warriors really hitting him. Well, yeah, because he was. Okay, let me get my breath. Yeah, I mean, you got to blow up doing that, right? I'm blowing up watching him. It was like Jesus Christ. I remember Strongbow. You know what's in there? Goes. He runs to the ring and what's next? He can't breathe. So it was always trying to figure out that way is to okay. Do this nice, slow, methodical, and, and Rude knew how to work with Warrior. Rude, Rude knew exactly what to do, when to do it, and why to do it. And I think there was a trust factor there that not in the beginning, but eventually where Warrior realized, all right, I need this guy to make me look good. And and that's he did, by God. I love Rick rude. It's, it's one of those things where I didn't appreciate how much of a rude fan I was until I was older. And, and this is a really good match. I mean, Wade would say the ultimate warrior Rick rude match was spectacular and better than even the highest expectations. He gave it a B plus. 
does he know that A comes before B? Yes. Okay. By the way, uh, former friend of the show, Matt Coon pointed out to me a few weeks ago that the deep purple song highway star from 1972 was probably the inspiration for the ultimate warriors theme song. Have you heard this song? Do you, do you remember this song? No. I've heard warrior song. I'm going to, uh, get your take here. See if you think that it, uh, it sounds similar. I could see it. You, I could see that is, is being, yeah, that probably is the inspiration for it. Probably so. And, and back in the day, had he used that as his entrance, he could have gotten away with that. Yeah. So, you know, watching that, but, but, but going back and watching this damn, uh, suplex on the outside there's a way to do a suplex other than grabbing the guy's tights and just pulling his tights up his ass and pulling him over yeah he can help you (laughs) give him a heads up take your time big boy get set but i dare say you know this was during a time that you know, Hogan had been gone and, and Savage is, is on the up and, and you had, had warrior coming up and by God, you know, they, they, they loved him. I mean, it was warrior could do no wrong here. And the, the audience just, they didn't want these long matches with him. You know, what's weird. I, I, I don't really know that I, this clicked until just now, as you're saying all that about where Hogan is and where Macho is. And, and you said something like warriors next. And I think even as a fan, I knew here in 1989, Hey, warriors going to be the next top guy. I don't even know. I mean, the phrase top guy didn't exist in my vocabulary, but I just knew who oh, he's going to be champion. You know, I just knew this is going to be one of the big stars. He's going to be the, he's going to get the belt. And I feel like that may be lost a little bit. Now, when I watch WWE television now, and I know we're not going to talk about current stuff, but I'm just saying back in this era, you could definitely tell, okay, here's where we were. Here's where we are now. But just looking at it, you can tell the way they're programming it. This is going to be the next guy. Do you think that's just gotten too predictable, formulaic, boring? And so now you have to, you got to have so many moving parts just to sort of keep the attention span of wrestling fans today. Well, I think that, that entertainment in general has changed quite sure. a bit, especially television and how people view it, that you have so much more to choose from that you've got to create a multitude of stars and you've got to create everything. Um, and this was also a, a more innocent time where you had superstars and you had wrestling challenge syndicated television programming that that's how you got it. And you you were able to make stars on that with squash matches every single week. So the larger than life, man, when you, you put them in the ring against someone, they're equal, let's say like a Rick rude and ultimate warrior here that 
the audience felt it. They knew. They knew that this is this is a top program. It's a top guy. Um, it's just Warrior Man just had that fucking energy and that. Jesus Christ. But again, I'll go back to what I said just a second ago, man. This match should have been over by now. Right. Way too long. And that's, yeah. you know, the, the issue with with just formatting Warriors matches. We should have made them quick and move on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is probably better than you expected. Oh, without a doubt. And, and, and I again, I give a lot of that that credit to Rick rude in slowing him down, slowing him down. And Rick rude is the one that's setting the pace here. And rude is the one that is taking warrior to school and saying, Hey, now let's calm down. Now let's, let's tell this story and let me get my heat. And then we're going to blow that comeback and come home. But it, it's rude. Who's being the methodical slowing it down. You just walk around and sell big boy. I'll come get you. It says it right there on Rick Rude's trunks. Feel it. <laughs> Feel the heat. Well, it's a message to everybody if Warrior gets lost. Read my trunks. Wade would say there was no shortage of two and a half counts. Warrior excelled beyond what is expected of him. Rude continues to prove he is far from the average performer he used to be. Warrior owned the crowd tonight, and I think fans were more excited to see him win than Hogan win. Piper was at ringside at the end of the bout and distracted rude with a moon, which we'll see in a few moments, which is fucking depressing because Roddy Piper's no longer with us. The ultimate warrior's no longer with us. Bobby Heenan's no longer with us. Rick rude's no longer with us. And unfortunately neither is Joey Morella. So not a soul who's involved in this is still with us today. Yeah, it was kind of sad. It really and truly is, man. That's just, that is sad. Who would have thought, and I don't mean for this to sound the way it does, but who would have thought out of that list I just made that Bobby Heenan, the oldest of the bunch would be the last one to go. Oh boy. Yeah. No, not I. And the, the Joey, the youngest would be the first in that horrible car accident. So. It's just, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of crazy 30 years ago. And, and what happens in that time frame? I've always loved that where rude would jump on their back and do the sleeper sort of wear them down. It makes sense. I dig it. It does. And, and that's, again, that's what people, people look at. This is twofold, by the way. A, it's to tell a story for the audience, but it is also literally to slow warrior down. <laughs> okay. Carry me around big boy. <laughs> and if you're not going to slow down, I will make you slow down. That's the old, it's uh, right. The old Terry funk, uh, advice. I heard, uh, once he gave a wrestler was slow down. And when you think you're going too slow, slow down some more. Exactly. And then slow down a little bit more. 
if you think you've been laying there too long, lay there longer. Right about the time you think this is really uncomfortable, it's time to get up, wait and lay there longer. I Go ahead. Neither guy's moving. They're both they're both laying there like they should. Um, what would, warrior dying for air. How would Patterson Bobby is describe moving. this? When Patterson wants a double down like this, how would he describe it? Uh, just lay there. Don't move. Lay there like a fucking douchebag. Just lay there. Oh, don't move. I too soon. Why? The warrior is actually perfect here. Except till now. I still would have waited before he started shaking. But he laid there. He gave him time. He gave him time to fucking come with him and get him up. Now slow down. Rude with the double axe. Good shit. I feel like Ooh. we should mention here that uh, around this time, it's reported that the WWF secured another pay-per-view event for December 27th. So after Survivor Series, there's one more. And this one is going to be the no holds barred version. And, uh, what would you call it? The match, the what? Why have a Merry Christmas? So you can have a no holds barred Christmas, no holds barred, the match, the movie only on pay-per-view. Wade would say that it would be the movie and then a taped no holds barred match with Hogan and Zeus. Uh, so it'd be their first straight up singles match and a few other matches leading to WrestleMania. And Wade would say specifically, if the Hogan Zeus match does good pay-per-view business, look for that to headline WrestleMania six. If it does poorly, look for a quick replacement, possibly Wyndham Henning boss, man, ultimate, etc. The Hogan Zeus meeting will be pre-recorded to avoid embarrassment. If Zeus screws up. So he was wrong on all counts, but there's your expert. No, he got the, uh, he got warrior. WrestleMania six. He listed the entire fucking roster. Well, it could be perfect. It could be this. Guy. It could be what could be Bobby Heenan. It might be Joey fucking Morella. It could be honky tonk man, Brooklyn brawler. So <laughs> yeah, he could wrestle somebody on the roster. Let me ask you, was there ever a Wyndham Hogan program discussed that you know of? No, I actually, no, I don't think so. Um, what about boss man Hogan potentially at WrestleMania? I could have seen that WrestleMania during this time. I think boss man or Hogan had run, had run its course the year before. Now this one's fascinating though, Mr. Perfect, because Mr. Perfect at this point is still perfect. He's still undefeated. And we know Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake is going to be the guy to end it. But however, um, Mr. Perfect Hulk Hogan, that could have worked for WrestleMania. I would have dug that. Oh, I definitely believe that could have worked for mania, but at the time, you know, kind of, kind of getting there, all this was, was under the, the auspices of, we got to get warrior to where, where we're going to get him. And, um, contrary to the 
tabloid um, fib sheets, that the makeup sheets, I must just start calling them, um, in November is when we pretty much knew we were going Warrior and Hogan. But all their sources, I guess, didn't tell them that. Rick Rude up on top. Oh, my. What the fuck was that? Nice little false finish there. Good God, if Roddy Piper shows his ass, I'm I'm just, I'm going to flip out. Because that would cost the match for me. Are you alive? No, I'm alive. I'm letting you do your thing. Well, help me. <laughs> so let's talk about the intermission because, uh, this is the last match before intermission. They don't do intermission anymore. Was intermission just a part of wrestling because it always had been. And, and when did you guys decide, uh, enough of that shit? Well, it was, it was a part of wrestling because it always had been. Yes. And it was something that you always did. And B, originally, it was to sell merchandise and shit. Oh, my, he's got nothing on under there. Because he's a true Scotsman. I like that. And he, that's I'm what, so obsessed, huh? I like that that's what allows the distraction. The idea that someone showed Rick Rude their ass infuriates him. How dare you show me your butt crack? And look at the hang guy. on, I'm going to run right by you to go over here. <laughs> yeah. Look at the guy, a couple rows back on the left side against the hard cam. He's got his sleeves rolled up. He's got a tie on his hands. He's just wringing his hands. Like, please beat him. Please beat him. Yes. People are so into this. I can't wait to see his reaction. It goes up for the slam. Has he got his hand in his, uh, no, no there. Yes, he does. Mm. Yes, he does. Look, look at this dude. That motherfucker still's got his fist clenched. Dude, it's been like this for se for several seconds now. Let's see, here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. Ah, yes. Did his hands move from that position? Are they oh, yeah. up? Yes. Yeah, he's Arsenio and now. Okay. And the crowd goes wild. Look at the crowd, dude. For real. I know. Fucking went banana. They exploded. You know what? I don't know how you could see this and not say, yeah, we're going with Warrior at WrestleMania six. We did. Well, it could have exactly, been Mr. Perfect. Wade Keller, been <laughs> said Wade Keller thought we're fucking going with, of course we'd go with Zeus or of course we'd go with fucking Brooklyn brawler, or we could go with this guy. We could, you know, yeah, no, we're going to go with Jim, the Admiral Neidhart, or we're going to go with Jacques Rougeau or Shawn Michaels. No, no one will believe that. Um, I mean, seriously, you go back and read that. He's just throwing out names. Hey, let's, uh, look at Sean Mooney doing man in the crowd here. I used to love this. I wish you guys still did this. <laughs> well, he can't hear himself think he look at the IFB in his ear too. It's, it's basically like a goddamn half a headset in his, in his ear. That's what hearing aids used to look like. By the way, old hearing aids, even before that. Yes. High praise. Uh, well, not high praise, but him being the, the fan man is discussed, uh, in the torch. Sean Mooney 
was the crowd roamer again and actually did a fair job. That position as the fan man is sort of working. And here's Mean Gene looking as only he can look in that spiffy tux and the giant IFB. And there he is, Mr. Perfect. Who is absolutely perfect. By the way, that uh that side behind them at SummerSlam right there, that popped up uh in the last year or so on the collector market. Somebody actually has that now. And where would they have gotten that from? I have no idea. I think it was when you guys had like a developmental territory somewhere and they sent like a bunch of old <clears throat> signs down because the WrestleMania 13, uh, like backdrop piece for interviews was there. And, uh, that one, I think there was a Royal rumble one from like 1990 or 91, something like that, but old, old stuff. And then a bunch of old nitro ring skirts and canvases and things like that. Interesting. And Gene's got that giant IFB, not very well dressed, hanging off of his ear there as well. Roddy Piper out here doing his best Roddy Piper. This is, by the way, we should remind everybody. He left to WrestleMania three going to Hollywood. And I kind of thought that'd be it, but he's back. Yes, he is. I'm looking just fine there, Gene, you know, because I just went out and I just showed everybody I'm the true Scotsman that I am. And uh, I'm going to flip flop this glass here and drink me some water. If only Bruce would have put some tequila in there for me, I'd like it a whole lot more. God, don't let me drop this son of a bitch. As a matter of fact, I'll just keep on talking till I do. And if you don't like that, Rick Rude, well, I'm sorry because I'm pretty damn sure I'm going to drop this shit, Gene. And oh, yeah. Oh, I gotta cry and blow my nose because I, well, you know, I'm not gonna blow it too hard. Can't, can't fucking uh, get rid of the shit, you know, just saying. Oh, well. Roddy Piper's interviews were nonsensical, but people loved them. Can you put your finger on why? Is it just the energy? Well, it is the energy. No, Roddy told the story. You always, the story didn't necessarily always make sense, but he did tell you a story. <laughs> It was kind of like follow the yellow, oh, you follow the yellow dick toad, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. Well, let me explain to you one of once upon a time, little bunny foo-foo hopping down the forest <laughs> and then Goldilocks came in. Yeah. He just, he mixes all of it up and shit, but somehow, some way it makes sense to him. These interviews we're seeing here, these would have been pre-taped earlier in the day. I would hope so. Actually, we, we may have done these live just to have, um, uh, just have Piper there, make sure that the finishes were, were done. So we'll just line them up and do them live, live. Are these being shown on the big screen inside the arena? No, no, no. At that point, that was intermission time. And that, that was the time for people to go and get their hot dogs and hamburgers and popcorn and, and everything else. Besides, so and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is live just from, uh, from the Bobby standpoint, more than anything. Why do you say that? Oh, well, because yeah, look, well. Rick Rude's all sweaty and yeah. coming right from the ring. And forget about facing the camera there. So yeah, we would just go in and you had you had a block you had to fill. And one thing we're not doing here that was a big part of the intermission on our side was selling merch. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is besides Hulk Hogan, the foam finger and the Hulk rules, t-shirts, like what, what other merch items, not Hulk Hogan stuff 
is a top seller that maybe would surprise people. Uh, you know, that Piper, uh, the hot rod shirt was a big one. Uh, all the warrior stuff was big too. Um, was there one gee, item where, where, right. where like you, he took that right on his face? He didn't even move his head to the side. You mean warrior? Yeah. That. yeah. Warrior did. Yeah. It's like, move your head to the side. That's good to know. He hurt himself as much as he hurt other people. So what's wrong with you? What? It's good to know. He hurt himself. Well, no, here's what I'm saying is that sometimes when he would do moves to people and he would hurt people on that particular move that hurt himself, you know what I'm saying? If he had just moved his head to the side and taking care of taking care of himself, he would go in very haphazardly and dangerously to himself and others. Some merchandise. What was your question? No, just, you know, was there never an item that surprised you how well it sold? Matilda. What do you mean? Uh, the Matilda, uh, stuff plush. Oh, okay. I'll be honest. I don't even remember that. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm sure fucking Zack Ryder has eight of them. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. The, as a matter of fact, I'm looking, I don't have it here. I had a Matilda in my office for years. One of the Matilda stuff blushes and, uh, and, uh, I used to just, for whatever reason, I don't know why, maybe because it was such a big seller. I'm, I'm looking at it right office. now. This is wild. The Matilda stuff. Yeah. I, I've never seen this in my life. Yeah. People used to buy a shitload of those. There he is. There he is folks. Now this motherfucker, we had to shoot in two nights. Yeah, no, we've talked about this and this was one of my first wrestling memories, him showing up here, Zeus, I mean, standing on the steps, preventing Hulk Hogan from entering the cage, the big blue cage. By the way, I used to love the Hulk Hogan would cut slits in the back of a shirt. I think we should bring that back. Me and you. The slits in the back of our shir- shirts. Yeah. And our dress shirts. You know what? You know what? We might, uh, we might get our man Ryan to, uh, make us a shirt. That's got the slits in the back. Fuck. Yeah. Just nothing on the front. Just slits there in the... he is. Or wait, are you oh, saying there he is macho man or no brother love for fuck's oh. sake. Look at that good looking son of a bitch. Man, uh, Sherry had on a see-through dress. You could see them cheeks. How did I miss that when I was a youth? You can't see them cheeks. You see them legs. Just let me use my imagination as a seven-year-old back in the day. Come on. Eight. Well, oh, yeah, because the madness lies in the eye of Zeus right there. Is, yeah, the eye of the madness. Oh, oh, freak out, freak out right there. The eye of the madness coming for you, Hulk Hogan. He's coming for you, Zeus. Oh, yeah. Freak out, freak out. Yeah, we didn't let Tiny do a whole lot of talking. By the way, Hulk Hogan. I don't know what else I'm saying. I fucking love Zeus. I know you get annoyed because I love Zeus. I don't get annoyed that you love Zeus. You can love Zeus. Well, I do, and you can't stop me. Well, you know what? 
millions more loved Brutus Beefcake. No, they fucking the barber. Didn't. Watch your mouth. Millions upon millions. Many more millions than ever loved Zeus. By the way, uh, <laughs> I can't believe it's real. Wade had an opinion about, uh, about the entrance. He says, I would have liked to see both Hogan and beefcake approach the ring together to Hogan's music. Although I see their reasoning and trying to establish both gimmicks. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck about what? Whether or not Brutus and Hogan walked out together to the same music. Well, obviously he did chat me up. You know, we've, we've used Wade a lot this week. You, uh, if you had to pick, would you go, uh, would you call yourself a Wade Keller guy or a Dave Meltzer guy? I'd rather be dead than either. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I mean, that that's like, okay, do you, do you want to put your nuts in a bowl of piranhas? Or do you want to put your nuts in a, a bloody bowl of sharks? Bloody I mean, bowl of sharks. Okay. So chat me up. Uh, Jerry Jarrett, Wade Keller, Dave Meltzer. Well, at least Jerry's got chicken salad. Okay. But then I'd have, no, then that would be, that would be bad. Why would you want to put me with any of those people? I was just asking, you know, hypotheticals. I mean, beefcake should be out here after that devastating, uh, bear hug. No, I agree. By the way, the macho man here still rocking the tape on the elbow. We've talked before how at WrestleMania five, he was suffering from staff. Does he still have some lingering effects with that in his elbow right now? I think, it, you know, it just was an elbow injury that was a result of the staff that he kept just trying to protect it, make sure that it didn't get any worse. Easy there, big man. I push me in the face again. I'm going to knock you out. All right. Yeah. Your Hollywood career will be over when I fucking tell you to go. It's time to go. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm going to hide your eyes so you can't even see them. It's good shit. Zeus, man. Very, Zeus. very good shit. This made you a fan. There he is. The body. The hell's Tony reading? What's he looking at? Uh, probably walking papers from Vince. That came later. What I was getting to earlier. Not quite the mullet. What I was getting to earlier, uh, when you took issue with me talking about Royal Rumble 1990, the, uh, this show. Is this, is this what convinced Vince that nah, Tony ain't the guy. I don't like it. No, I don't think so. Not at all. I, I look, the only thing that happened with Tony was when Tony's contract came up, uh, Tony asked for a lot more money and started negotiating and giving Vince ultimatums as far as. Uh, going back to WCW and things like that. It wasn't even WCW. It was Crockett, I guess, at the time. And Vince wasn't going to negotiate with them. 
you know, wasn't going to put one against the other and just said, fine, you want to go, go. Tony Schiavone wasn't, wasn't selling tickets. So it was okay. Next. We'll get Jim Ross in a few years. <laughs> Man, yeah. what a team here. Andre, the giant, the big boss man and Akeem. Holy cow. And by the way, uh, I loved the, uh, analysis from Wade killer. He says, uh, Jim Duggan is trying to wrap himself in as many gimmicks as humanly possible. He's been said to be a walking souvenir stand with the addition of the demolition mask. Actually, at this point, he has a bigger selection of merchandise on his person than the NWA has completely. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Probably true. It's like at WrestleMania seven, Willie Nelson sang America, the beautiful and swag out swag. Oh out. my God. And he and Donald Trump stood in the backstage area and Trump kept putting more and more shit on him, which was absolutely hilarious because he kept, you know, he got the championship belt. He had the t-shirt, he had the bandana, he had a uh, wrist, he had everything there was. Um, maybe he had seen Jim Duggan. Yeah. The referee, you got to take the masks off beforehand. Oh, so let's run through this. Hacksaw Jim Duggan has the American flag paint on his face. He had the demolition mask covering that. He had the crown on top of both. He had the two by four wrapped in the stars and stripes with a crown on top of that. He also had an American flag and he wore a cape. This is uh, it's a lot. It's called dedication, Conrad. Dedication to your craft. One of the favorite things, one of my absolute favorite things was when we had a fan once at one of our live shows, ask, did Hacksaw Jim Duggan carry the same two by four to all the towns? Did he, was the, was the piece of wood a checked item? Was it a carry on? Yeah, well, he got him at two by fours R us in every town. Yeah, and here, here's the funny thing: the the real answer to that is in the early years, Duggan would just walk around the building and try and find a two by four. Sure, that's. And then we finally got to the point of. Why don't we just carry a bunch of two by fours in the fucking trucks? Right. How much space is that going to take? Right. Bunch of two by fours and a saw. That's his gimmick. We're good. Conrad, you're doing a hell of a job in the ring right now. Selling for demolition. Ah, oh, thank you, sir. I did my I, best. Uh, I had a good hair day here. Didn't I? Without a doubt. It does make me wonder. If one man gang ever like work continental, he did. I'm gonna have to have a talk with my mom. I wonder if he ever made it to Gunvalson, Alabama. I wouldn't have been there as a Ute. 
Oh, I would have been uh, down near Montgomery in Prattville, and you know they ran Montgomery all the time. Oh, he talked about this one in Montgomery. Shut the fuck up. This blonde. No, my mom wasn't blonde. Come on. Well, sometimes she was. He said she wasn't a real blonde. But <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, in my my hey, search... don't ever let Miss Deborah hear this either, damn it. Uh, rest assured, she does not listen. That hurts. No, have you heard what we say on this show? You wouldn't want your mom listening. My mom's dead. We're talking about your getting your dick hard every other week on this show. Well, somebody's got to. Okay. There's that. All right. Didn't expect that. By the way, um, in my search to find this Matilda dog that you're talking about, it was described as I found it, it listed in the uh like in the old merch booklet. Yeah. Our adorable Matilda stuffed animal is just waiting for you to give her a home. 11 and a quarter inches high, cuddly, soft. She's wearing the British Bulldogs t-shirt and a bright red collar made of 100% acrylic plush, 1595. Yeah, man. And the Matilda t-shirt also photographed only comes in a youth medium, a youth large, a small, medium, large, and extra large. There is no double XL, but the person modeling the Matilda t-shirt, you know, take a guess. Uh, Stephanie McMahon. Isn't that wild? Yeah. That's crazy to me that, you know, if you know what you're looking for at the open of this show, she's jumping in the pool. She's also, Oh God damn. That first sit out by Andre was painful. If you think that's bad, wait till you see uh, the bump that Akeem's going to take in a minute. Are you a bumping fool? He's a bumping fool. We haven't spent you know, a lot of time talking about Bill Eady. You got any good Bill Eady stories? Bill Eady about killed Houston one time when we had, he was the mass superstar and the finish of the match was if, um, Murdoch and the mass superstar lost that the mass superstar would unmask. And they did a deal where the heels and baby faces fought all the way to the back to the dressing room. And the baby faces went in the heel locker room and Bill Eady just threw a second mask, not even the same mask he was wearing in the match, just threw a second mask to DiBiase and DiBiase came out holding the mask up like he had just unmasked him in the dressing room and got the mask. And the audience just shit all over it and booed the fuck out of the two baby faces, Doc and DiBiase. This is like he, he worked the he worked the whole mask with the silver mask, and then they come out with a red and black one. And it just was a shits. But that was that was Bill Eady. Ooh. I climb over rope now. Bossman you know, is uh, one of the more underrated big men of all time. Where would you rank? Um, or do you even consider Bossman a big man? I mean, obviously, he is a big man, but 
is there a requirement in your head as to what does or doesn't qualify? I think over 300 pounds is a big man, or at least back in the day it was. And I would put boss man definitely at the top of that list. I mean, he's, he was a guy that could move, take great bumps and had just tremendous timing. So boss man was a very good big man. So was, so was, uh, Akeem. I mean, gang was a damn bump in hell of a big man. So ever, everybody in this match, I would say, shit, I was before we were so rudely interrupted by the finish. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Barry Darso, uh, smash right there was a guy that a lot of times got overlooked because he was in a tag team a lot of the time, whether it was Crusher Khrushchev or whatever, but Darso could go. It was a big young guy that could really go and take bumps. And he was usually the workhorse of his teams. See, now watch that damn two by four come down. That's with precision right there. Knocking Conrad's ass out and the crown went flying off. He's cheating. Yeah. That's what he said. They know how to keep that one short. It got a D minus though. Um, Wade would say <laughs> Duggan and demolition beat Andre, the giant and the twin towers in the greatest match in WWF history. Just kidding. Smash pin to came to end the match. Andre was Andre. The, the match lasted seven minutes and it was eight too long. D minus man. Wade had a hard on for those guys. Didn't he? If you say so. Well, no, I didn't mean it like, you know what I mean? Well, we're talking about blue chew and shit. I don't know. No, we're not. They didn't buy a spot this week. Well then fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Hey, how about about million dollar man here? Looking as only he can look. I know that in hindsight now, this is a fucking stupid look, but at the time I thought this was the most badass fucking wrestling costume ever. Because it costs a million dollars, Conrad. Those are diamond studs on his, uh, Furnham Snavitz there on his shirt thingy. His Furnham Schnavitz. Yeah. By the way, I collect those old school hundreds. That's my job. Are those gimmick hundreds? No, those are real ones right there. I'm just saying I like the old, the old hundreds, not the, the big oh, face ones we've had. For not 20s. the new ones with the big faces and yeah, shit. Yeah. Gotcha. You got a few million of those, don't you? A few million hundred dollar bills. Yeah. Yeah, I got three or four hundred million just sitting around in a safe somewhere. No big deal. Why'd you start putting it in a safe? You used to keep it on the kitchen table and shit. And in my room. In my room. Yeah, that's what we did with I don't know if you remember, but in the brother leave love suite upstairs. Yes. We uh when we went to replace the mattress, I thought, man, I got an idea. You know, it's not a purple mattress, it's not you know, one of those bed in the box mattresses. I got a better idea. We'll fucking just stuff it full of hundreds. So nice. So you took them out of the cabinet and put them in the bed. Sleep like a million bucks now. All right. Let's let everybody hear the Ronnie Garvin bit here. So he's going to do the ring announcing. I'm going to play this. So everybody can hear. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. He does. He does a good job. He's reading cue cards. There's nothing wrong with that. Coming down the aisle. The fans to their feet. The mighty Hercules. The mighty Hercules. The mighty Hercules. 
So the gimmick here is Ronnie Garvin is about to be feuding with Greg, the hammer Valentine. So he does a straight read for the Hercules introduction, but here comes the interesting so-called opponent. Well, that's an opinion. Poor excuse of a manager, a big mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Here is a man who says he's from Seattle, Washington. He claims he weighs 249 pounds. To me, he looks like he's overweight by 30 pounds. How dare him do that as an announcer? This individual who can't take for himself. And when he goes to his wimpy manager for advice, little Jimmy can't give him any. He is the only wrestler I think I've Ronnie ever Garvin's seen a punk. with two left feet. Well, he's talking Where's a lot. a robe with cheap rhinestone? Oh. Cheap well, rhinestone. He's coming or going. Listen to this. Made the biggest mistake of his life when he asked for me to be reinstated. Greg the Hammer Valentine. Well, I can't believe that got over, but it did. I mean, big booze from the crowd after that ring introduction. And I got to tell you, I, uh, I, I was never into this and it is sort of weird in hindsight that what, like. 18 months prior to this, Garvin was the NWA world champion, main eventing a Starcade with Ric Flair. And now he's here. Um, what'd you think of uh, Garvin's stomp finish? I was not a fan. Now, see, this is where, you know, it, it, it gets hard because. Uh, I love Ronnie Garvin. I personally, I mean, good God, go out and have a few drinks with Ronnie Garvin. He is a funny son of a bitch and a great guy, a tremendous worker in the ring. Um, great, but I just never, I never got it. You know what I mean? Uh, when they made him world champion in, in the NWA, I thought, what in the hell? Um, it took me back to the old days. Okay. Put a shooter in there and, but it wasn't the old days and Ronnie, same thing that I said about Rick Martell, Ronnie, I just didn't think cut great promos, uh, and may have been because he was French Canadian and the, the language barrier, but shit, Ronnie lived in, in the States more than he did in Montreal, but, for whatever reason, I just thought it, uh, it never really clicked with me. And I was always amazed at the level of, of how much that, that we did put behind some of that stuff because I didn't get it. And I don't, but it was a, you know, it was kind of a mid card program type deal. And, and that's what, what it was meant to be. But the NWA making him champion, I just, again, it was, I never saw it. And I think people, you know, still look back on that and go, what the hell? Some people may not recognize the referee. Tell them who that is. Timmy White. That's crazy. It's a young Timmy White, too. That's what I mean. It's a young one. 
by the way, uh, tell everybody we see Fink on the outside. We see, uh, to his right, Ronnie Garvin and to his right, Tony Gurria. Tony's wearing a headset. Give everybody a heads up as to what, uh, what Tony Gurria's role was here. All Tony Gurria's role is here is to tell the guys, get the hell out of the ring when it's time at the end of the match. That is his only role there. Okay, guys, let's go. Vince is yelling. I want you to get, get back to the back. That's my Tony Gurria. Tony Gurria would start every story with, well, back in my day, you just grab a hold. So, yeah, Tony's one job was to, to let everybody know, get the hell out of the ring. Uh-oh, what's Ronnie Garvin doing? Ronnie Garvin is stooging off Jimmy Hart. He can't do that as a as a damn ring announcer. He cannot award the match to Hercules. Wade would say number seven saw Hercules defeat Greg Valentine by DQ. The highlight was allowing Ron Garvin to introduce Greg Valentine and insult him left and right. Hercules continues to show he's the most expendable personality in the WWF. There's no future or present value to him in Titan D minus. What do you make of the, uh, assertion that he has no value Hercules? Yeah. I disagree with that. You know, Hercules was, was an attraction. And I think that people, uh, he was one of those guys that, as you say, people looked at in an airport and a lot of people knew and, Again, he's one that in the locker room, everyone loved. I mean, God, Ray was was just the best. But I don't think the babyface role of Hercules, eh, nobody bought it. Nobody wanted it. Him as a heel with the manager and being able to do his shit was fine. But I think that when Herc tried to be a babyface on his own and have to cut promos and all that other shit, Ah, nobody wanted it. Nobody cared. What'd you think of, um, Greg Valentine's robe? He had Olivia Walker, make him a robe and, uh, you know, lots of, uh, as, as Greg said, or as Ron said, cheap rhinestone, but he put a fucking arm on the back of his robe. That's for the elbow smash, man. Yeah. It was for the big elbow elbow smash because that was that was the finish and that's what his old man used as well. Oh yeah, the cauldron promo. Sherry, here, get some of this, man. <laughs> I like it when she's making making Zeus. Come on, inhale, buddy. Ooh. She almost sounds like Paul Bearer when she does her promos. Dude, Man, uh, Sherry was the best. I'm God, I fucking love these promos here too, where she's looking in the cauldron. And oh, she sees something. Did you see a few, uh, it was earlier this year. Someone took a promo of her and macho man just yelling and ranting. And they put like a meme above it or made it a meme. I put some text above it and it said when the bartender at Chili's cuts you off after four margaritas. <laughs> and, and she's just yelling you're a common woman i hate you so bad that's just 
the best shit ever. Let's let everybody hear the Macho Man do his thing. I'll play this for everybody. Link Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh, yeah, in the bottom of the cauldron of madness. Yeah. And I also see Hulk Hogan. Yeah. On the bottom of the cauldron of the madness. And it's because of the human wrecking machine. Yeah. Impervious to pain. And I told you, Hulk Hogan, that this was the end of the road. And I am looking at the end of the road. And also, I see sincere. Sherry, you with Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, the possibility is unbelievable. Thank you very much. I'm a little bit fired off. Let's get back up to the ring. Good stuff, man. Smoky cauldron. Uh huh. Yeah, I like it. Dig it. Freak out. Yeah. Uh huh. Good shit. You got to keep the smoke going, man, in order to really see what the hell is at the bottom of this. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Joey Morella tying his shoe in the background. <laughs> the million dollar man. Yes, folks. That belt worth well over a million dollars now. What do you think you legit spent on that back in the day? $2 million. God damn, fuck you. Ted DiBiase is going to have a uh, count out victory here against Jimmy Snuka that uh, Wade is going to say is a disappointing five match. Quote, although Snuka is three careers past his prime with DiBiase, this match could have been very satisfying. It wasn't. Snuka was counted out chasing Virgil around the ring. D plus. Ah, oh, lovely brother. And Jimmy might not have even known that that was the finish. He might have just wanted to chase Virgil. Who knows? Something that uh, Wade asks in the newsletter this week is um, nine matches is much better than 12 or 14, like the usual pay-per-view card. But he's still not sure why Wyndham wasn't on the card, at least beating someone like Paul Roma in the opener. And why weren't the Bushwhackers on the card? Well, why didn't Wade take his money and start his own promotion and book his own wrestlers and book his own show? Are you just going to be a whiny bitch dickhead today? I, explain to me how that's a whiny bitch anything. <laughs> uh, the whiny little bitches are the ones that bitch about everything and say, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Well, wait, wait, wait. And the they're guy... whiny little bitches who have never done anything. To prove that, well, why that, why, why would that work? Why wouldn't that work? And because they don't have the balls to get out there and actually do it. That's a whiny bitch. Because he likes Barry Windham. Well, then you know what? If he likes him that much and wants to see those matches, then he should have been a promoter and do it. Uh, and and he, so basically if he doesn't like what he's getting, he should just shut the fuck up. Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure. No, I mean, I get it. You should just shut the fuck up. Well, they, yes, they should shut the fuck up. It's, 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 it's like, you know, What's wrong no, with you? no, it's, 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 it's fucking like me telling an engineer how to design a building. Well, I don't like the way that he designed that building because I think that the air conditioner should have been over here. And it's really stupid that they put the air conditioner there. I don't know. Fuck all about designing a fucking building. So I'm not going to comment on something. I don't know how, cause I've never done it. 
so either I like it or I don't like it. And if I don't like it, then I choose not to live in it, rent it or whatever the fuck. It's that simple. Feel better. Oh, I got more. Let's talk about some other news and notes from the torch. Uh, it should be interesting to see how Piper does in his return to active wrestling. He'll be wrestling Rick Reed at the Met center in Bloomington on September 9th and other dates during September. His act on primetime wrestling with monsoon continues to get mixed reviews, but most agree the duo, the duo doesn't mesh like Heenan and monsoon did. Speaking of Heenan, his show is bombing in every way. The ratings for PTW drop off by as much as one third when his show is on and the content has left few satisfied. USA is ready to drop at any time. And McMahon, of course, will work an angle around its cancellation. Why not just say the ratings were so bad. The show had to be canceled. Oh, that would be the truth. Silly me. Is that silly year? Is that silly? Somebody making a comment. I was just reading directly from the torch. Okay. So once again, someone who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, the rating, if, the ratings suck though. I mean, that's true. Right. Again, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. USA. It was not a separate show and it was something that we were trying. And the, <laughs> as the story goes, the person that was supposed to tell USA that we were going to do this didn't and they didn't know what the hell they were doing the reason that we stopped doing it was because USA was pissed off that they were not told that we were going to do it and that we were presenting it as a separate show so we went back to the other format and they were like we want Bobby Heenan back on uh, primetime and we we don't want to wait till the last 30 minutes of the show to go to this Bobby Heenan show. That's what happened. And it was, you know, again, they just, that's what really happened. And I was heartbroken. We all were heartbroken because we loved the Bobby Heenan show. And I think that when you go back, it was so far ahead of its time in its absurdity. Um, that if we would have debuted it just 10 years later, it would have, been over like a million bucks, but nobody knew what the, we didn't know what the fuck it was. We were just, uh, it was an avenue for Bobby and trying to have some fun and experiment. And it was really, really bad television, but bad television actually on purpose. Um, uh, maybe not the best idea in the world, but it was a lot of fun to do it. And USA had no idea that we were doing it at the time. And when they realized what, what they're doing, it was like, wait a minute, you didn't tell them ahead of time. This is what we're doing. Well, no, I just figured they'd be fine with it. That's what happened. So shit happens sometimes, but you love the Bobby Heenan show. Didn't you? No. Get out. Well, when you were a child, you just didn't understand it. Maybe go back and watch it now. Classic shit. By the way, uh, Wade would say that the way the WWF gets over angles for its big shows is beyond perfect. What they've done with Zeus to get him over has been great. And he is the talk of casual fans and a Hogan Zeus match with seven more months of angles to push it 
will do tremendous business at WrestleMania. Well, he's, he's a genius. He also wrote Tony Schiavone is performing his announcing role so well. He will give Jim Ross a run for his money with my year end picks. Ultimate warrior will almost certainly win the intercontinental title at SummerSlam. Heard a story from a reader who ran into him at a gas station and the reader asked him when he was going to win the intercontinental title and the ultimate warrior told the fan it's just more fucking luggage. Why didn't you tell him at SummerSlam? Just curious. Yeah, well, Wade certainly had was the expert. He knew exactly what he was doing because we were going with Zeus and Hogan one on one at WrestleMania. You got any good uh, Mike Jones stories you can tell us? Hmm. I think that the 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 best was when we were shooting the original Million Dollar Man vignettes, and you go back and look at him, and and he was wearing gold and silver spandex completely form-fitting tight uh sleeveless outfits uh you know like spandex pants spandex shirt and everything and we made the comment that he looked like the ftd florist which if you remember back in that day that's kind of what the ftd florist looked like with the with the wings and shit and we actually were in a uh one of the scenes that we did with DiBiase that may have been the hotel, there was a florist next door with the FTD florist life-size cutout in the window. And we got Virgil to actually pose just like the FTD florist. And he had no clue what he was doing. And I've got that picture somewhere. I don't know where, but uh, with the FTD florist and Virgil just side by side, they were pretty damn close. But he's got that fuck money now, so. And that meat sauce. Yeah. And Does he, he manage at Olive Garden now? No, he's just the best he customer. He just eats there? He's the best customer. Oh, okay. That's good. Does he have a job? Yeah, he's a WWE superstar. But he's not. Uh, no, but, I mean, he is. Just ask him. He was a 10 WrestleManias. Was he really sold out, uh, every arena around the world with Hulk Hogan. There's Sean Mooney at the top of the arena. Whose idea was this shot? This is tremendous. It shows you just how massive this is. Oh, I love that shot because you get to see the whole arena behind you. So if it's a good shot, it was probably my idea and, and a mistake on Kerwin Silfie's part. They're going banana. Yeah. We got 32 minutes left for the main event. So. You got plenty of time here because, well, you know, what's going to happen after the show. What's, uh, if you've been listening to this show very long, you know, that Hogan must do something. Oh, I love that. Hogan and Burtis rule. <laughs> Burtis. <laughs> oh shit. And I didn't catch that till you had to read it to me. Burtis. Man, that belt looks awesome. It's got the, uh. Little fans on the tip there. I think that's the dual plated one. Let's let everybody hear the Hulkster break it down. I'll play this. Harley Davidson's through a lot of heavy traffic, dude. But on the way to the Meadowlands today, when we hit the George Washington Bridge, it was at a standstill. 
So me and the barber, we just looked at each other, brother, and we decided to head for the water, brother. We headed for the Henry Hudson River, and just like Moses parted the Red Sea, that's exactly what happened when the pythons started heading for the river. And once we crossed the river, Mean Gene, everybody on Interstate 95 pulled off to the side. All the Hulkamaniacs with the stares in their eyes, with their jaws hanging, with the dumbfounded looks, couldn't believe the largest arms in the world hanging on to a pair of ape hangers ready to do battle. They couldn't believe the gleam in the barber's eyes. And we know why, don't we, Brutus? You know me, Gene. <laughs> These are titanium yeah. steel blades. They will cut through absolutely anything. You know, I love the blades, Gene. The blades are part of me. Now, madness, listen up, because I'm going to make them part of you. I can't believe that, Hulk Hogan. You better believe it, me, Gene. Yeah. But the thing that all those Hulkamaniacs that were stopped on the side of the road couldn't believe was the package I had riding on the back of my fender, brother, with those long, sexy, curvaceous legs that wrapped around me, with the arms that hung onto my waist for dear life, with a set of headlights that were pointed straight ahead, brothers, and the smile across the secret weapon's face, just like an acre of sunshine. Satisfaction guaranteed. We're going to take it to him, brother. We're going to wipe out the macho man. We're going to destroy Zeus. And then we're going to get Scary Sherry and put her in her place. What are you dudes going to do when the barber, the blade, and Hulkamania run wild on you? Get ready for the, the fuck did he just say? Hulk Hogan, the barber, and the blade run wild on you. Isn't it titanium? Yes, it's not titanium, and I'm pretty sure titanium <laughs> isn't a steel. Uh, so it's titanium steel, according to old Bertus. Well, Bertus, you know what? Actually, we could both be wrong, and old Bertus could have had titanium steel blades on the blade of his steel titanium tine. Let's go to Twitter. We posted the uh, graphic from SummerSlam 89 and asked if uh, you guys had some questions. Uh, Bad Money Slim writes Savage and Zeus with Sherry, top five tag team. Oh, fuck yes. James Stewart wants to know what was the reason for having Hearts versus Tully and Arn be non title on pay per view? That's a pretty good question. That's a real good question. One that I can't give you the answer to. I, I don't know. I really and truly don't know why the hell that wouldn't have been a title match. AJ wants to know no holds barred debuted in theaters on June 2nd, a full 12 weeks prior to SummerSlam, considering the three month gap between the movie and the event. Um, how big was the expectation for the movie box office success of no holds barred to carry over to the pay-per-view box office? Well, the, here was the. Here's the deal. We did so much promotion on our television show to the movie that in and of itself, we had to pay off somewhere because you couldn't show the movie on television. So bring the stars from the movie to television. Um, and that's what we did with Zeus and to capitalize on it because for weeks, good God, six weeks leading up to the premiere of the movie, all you saw was Hogan and Zeus in the movie. And then during the time the movie was actually in theaters, that's all you saw was Hogan and Zeus and the 
scenes from the movie. Now you introduce Zeus into this world and people are, people know who he is. We invested and we made a heel through the promotion for another event, the movie itself. So it was, I think in the back of their mind that they always kind of had that intention, but, not really knowing how much, uh, Zeus could do. It was okay. You know, shit. Um, let, let's see what we've got. But we quickly found out that, uh, Zeus is an actor and that's what he did and trying to be physical in, in a wrestling ring and do that was not something that he was going to learn in, in the next six months. That, uh, that robe uh, Macho Man is wearing is actually owned by a private collector who listens to the show. Yes, it is. And I've actually seen pictures of that. That's one of the most coveted robes out there of the Macho Man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, dude, does it get him any more exciting than this? Yeah, it does. By the way, even as a kid, I was like, oh, look at there. There I am as a Ute. I got really those births. Um, I was like, damn, Sherry's hair is really long. Is that really long hair? But of course I'm a kid. I didn't put together. Oh, it's fake and it's coming off. Uh, Mr. William wants to know if SummerSlam was the WrestleMania of the summer, why didn't it get numbered like WrestleMania? I like that. Actually, I thought it would have been cool. Well, I, I think that just Vince liked the numbers for WrestleMania, but he didn't like it for survivor series or SummerSlam or even the rumble. He just felt that they would be their own entity and, you know, SummerSlam 88. It is what it was. I mean, and, and that's, that's how he labeled those. So it, it just became now it's just, you know, SummerSlam and, and rumble and survivor series. Look at the crowd, dude. Look at all the foam fingers. Look at all the yellow and red. Hogan on top is something to see, man. Man, it, it, during this time, and again, he's coming back. This son of a bitch was just so red hot. Charlie Wolf has a great question for you. When it comes crashing down, does it truly hurt inside? Absolutely. John Hayes wants to know after seeing Zeus's limited abilities, what were the expectations for him going into this match? especially knowing how Hogan doesn't like to overly script matches. Uh, the expectations were very little, but we knew that we had Sherry and Savage out there to, to make everything work. All Zeus had to do was slap himself and do the Zeus. Great question here from Sean Wolford. Why Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. Cause Brutus was fucking over. Drew wants to know, it seems like Savage had to carry his side. If Jerry Jarrett was giving Zeus advice on how to be helpful, what might that sound like? Well, you know, for, for, you know, you get to the, and when, well, you know, to, to the steps and, and then, well, well, you know, you take it and you, you know, you turn around and then, well, you know, and, and you take your, well, you know, your, your, your eye and you make it. Well, you know, Chris wants to say, 
I'm not going to argue that warrior was a great worker. However, he did have the best match at this event, a great match with Rude at WrestleMania five, and he had the best matches at both WrestleMania six and seven. Therefore, shouldn't he get some credit and praise for his abilities? I give warrior a lot of credit and praise for his abilities. As far as being extremely charismatic and being over like a motherfucker and being able to sustain that. And yes, I thought that if you give him someone great to work with, like Rick rude, Randy Savage, by all means, he'll hold his own. Blanco says, is there a good story about Zeus doing or saying something out of turn in the locker room that maybe Hulk or Randy or whoever had to step in and sort of explain etiquette amongst the boys. Zeus was kept separate from the boys for the most part. And even when we went on the road, uh, together, and I talked about this in the holds Bart, they where brother love would have brother love shows with his guest Zeus. So that was, that was a long standing deal that we did for the entire promotion of the movie. And oh my God, here's miss Liz Hulkster had a secret weapon by God. Macho man isn't going to be too happy about this. No, uh, 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 ain't going to happen. So, but, uh, while we were doing this, I would go in the ring and I would do a brother love show and Zeus only had like a line and I basically did everything else for him uh, and tell him what to do and try and get him around. And one night we were in Springfield mass and I'm, I'm trying to tell him what to do in the ring. And he's not doing it. So when we get to the back, I said, Hey, tiny, I said, I'm out there and I'm trying to tell you what to do. You got to listen to me, man. You got to take your time and you've got to listen. And when I tell you to do something, you need to do it. And he looked at me straight face as hell and said, Oh, I didn't know you were talking to me. There were only two of us in the ring. He didn't know who I was talking to. I said, who the fuck did you think I was talking to when I'm telling you to get up on the fucking second rope and slap yourself and fucking come on down. Let's hit the other side. I mean, the fuck you. He goes, I don't know. Yourself. Okay. Chris wants to he, was, he was used to doing scripted shit his way. And that was all the only, that was all he's going to do. Hawk fan wants to know who were the guys who would have helped Zeus with his wrestling training for this tag match. Did you guys lay out? Uh, anything at all? Like, I mean, I, a lot of times we hear just last week, we talked about how test and the main street posse and Shane worked on the match for three days. And I think we've talked about how Hogan has done that a lot. Like for WrestleMania six with warrior, him and Patterson got together and worked through the match. Did, did, did that happen here or because you had macho and Hogan, did they just figure, ah, we'll just, we'll be fine. No, absolutely. Uh, the, all four of them got together and worked out in Tampa and different things. You had to, because this was too big of a deal for him to look really terrible. And it, it just was too big of a gamble not to. So yeah, they definitely took some time and got in there and got him to the point where he could do certain things and make sure that, uh, he was comfortable doing it. Uh, another fun question here. From uh, Chris, when the SummerSlam sign crashed down, leading to Oakland's expletive, how did Vince and Bruce react? Who got in trouble? Did Vince ask Jesse to divert attention? I know you've told this story on some other episodes before, but retell 
when you realized, oh shit, I'm playing the wrong one. We fucking realized it live and it was like, God damn it. And, and tell Jesse to cover it. It was the second time in the night that Tony and Jesse were called upon to cover something. The first time being with the, the woman that took her top off. Um, so here was another fuck up and you know, Jesse just commented on Gene's mouth, but he had already been, you know, got the wrath of damn it. You guys got to cover shit. And if we come to you, that's, that's your job. So we were pissed off that a, that someone put the wrong tape in and B then that it wasn't followed up on and, and jumped on immediately by commentators. They had to be told again. So that was the reaction and not a good one. Blue collar shirts wants to know in 2013, during his live shows with Eric Bischoff. Hogan talked about a sexual relationship he once had with sensational Sherry, given that this information is now out there. Can Bruce confirm how big's Batista's dick? Mark and Didron wants to know, can Bruce do Cornette if he was giving Rick Rude's robe speech? I don't know what the fuck he says. All you lazy, fat, out of uh, shape here. podcast puds. What I'd like to have right now is for all you. Yeah. What I'd like to have right now is a double fucking cheeseburger, triple cheese, extra honey, double mayo, motherfucker. That's what I'd like to have. Johnny Utah has, thank you. Johnny Utah has the most dickhead question ever. Which eye did you choose to look at when speaking to Zeus? My God, Johnny Utah, shame on you. The eye of the madness. I knew you were going to look at. (laughs) Dude, you got to pick one and stick with it. (laughs) What is going on? Well, you do. Uh, vacant. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. Pick one and stick with it. Vacant wants to know. SummerSlam 89 was the first of four consecutive pay-per-views that did not feature a world title match on the card. Was there a method behind this madness with only having the title defended at WrestleMania on pay-per-view? Or did it just happen that way? No, actually, you know, there kind of was a method behind the madness because... WrestleMania was special at the time and it was looking for different attractions so that every pay-per-view wasn't about a, uh, world championship match that they were more issues and other reasons to have it. It was the rumble was the rumble survivor series was the teams. And then summer times just kind of fell into that personal issue one. So your big wrestling pay-per-view, if you will, uh, was WrestleMania. Ron wants to know if there ever any discussion about bringing Zeus back in nope. 90, 91, 92. <laughs> nope. We left that for WCW. We gave, we gave them his number. I love you for that. Phil wants to know, was there ever a plan to put the belt on Zeus? Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah, we, we're going to have him and Warrior work at WrestleMania six. Well, no, listen. I know you're going to. I know you're making fun of that, but realistically, the old, you know, you have the babyface chase. I mean, there could be a situation where, you know, he beat him on a Saturday night's main event, and they had a pay per view for the belt or something, right? In theory. Who's theory? No, he couldn't work. Oh Jesus! No, there, there was not. Like that fucking helped you. I know that I just, I, I stumbled the fuck on that one. Didn't I, uh, Francis Reyes wants to know, was there ever any talks of doing a second, no holds barred movie? You know what? Um, I don't, I don't recall, but that's a damn good idea. Maybe now's the time. Now is the time. It's like, um, uh, what if Rip's little brother grew up and it's John Cena? Here's a, an interesting question. You've told us before that Howard Finkel is responsible for naming WrestleMania. And one of the other names considered was colossal tussle. Were there other names considered for SummerSlam and was Sonny tussle ever one of them? Now this is way before Sonny was on Skype doing a different kind of tussling. Um, this the first one was 1988. And from day one, when I first heard the idea of the the summer pay-per-view, it was always SummerSlam. So there probably were other names that were bantied back and forth, but I was never a part of that at that time. And it was presented to me as, hey, th- this will be SummerSlam Mega Bucks versus the Mega Powers. And for all we knew, it was a one-off. Look at Beefcake go. Why is Beefcake in the main event? Because he's Beefcake. Why are you encouraging that? What? Fucking good shit. Uh, Ian wants to know, how come Brutus didn't stab them boys with them big-ass clippers? Well, he's about ready to cut that Z off of Zeus's head. I don't know why, but that cracks me up. Why did he just stab him? Because that would be cheating and the barber don't cheat, but he may cut. Oh, come on, Randy. (laughs) I don't know why I love when you do that impression. Come on. Lots of uh, weird questions today about Batista's anatomy and whether or not Zeus tried to give sensational Sherry an Alabama hot pocket. We have some interesting listeners. What in the fuck are you talking about? Which part? Any of that that you just said. I, every other question this week is about Batista's penis. I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I've created a monster here. My apologies, but <laughs> I had to look up Alabama hot pocket. And if you're listening right now, don't do that. I, I, I wish I didn't know what that was now. I don't need to know. No, you and do I'm, not. I'm not going to look it up. You do not. I bet your son Kane knows, but he shouldn't. He just went away to college today. And now you're going to make me look it up to make sure that I have to advise him against an Alabama hot pocket. <laughs> he does not need to do that. There will be paperwork involved. No, there, no, no. Okay. 
Is that anything like a, a Tony's Hot Pocket? Yeah, we should just not talk about it. Okay. It's real bad. I, I don't th- want to know. Well, I mean, now I feel like we've talked about it so much. I have to. No, you know. We're not. It involves defecation. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> uh, speaking of defecation, uh, Brutus and Zeus are in the ring now. This is the blind leading the blind. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Conrad, stop. You looked it up. Oh, fuck yes. Why did you look it up? Because you told me not to. Oh, God. You asshole. I didn't know. Somebody asked the question. I had to look it up myself. Why would you do that and then bring it up on a... Oh. Eight million people right now are, are fucking going, oh, God. There's probably about three of them that are going, yeah, so... I, I didn't do it. You disappoint me. I didn't do it. You did do it. By not doing it, that's the same thing as doing it. Boy, this this wrestling business is hard to navigate. Ah, oh, look at the way Savage hits those ropes. Good God, he was intense. By the way, uh, Wade would say the main event saw Hulk Hogan pin Zeus. And the main event tag team bout in a lot of ways, it was reminiscent of last year's main event and match quality and heat. The fans were very into this match and Zeus was over. Zeus was bashed in the head with Sherry's loaded purse by Hogan body slammed and leg dropped leading to his shoulders, staying on the mat for three Elizabeth and Sherry were both at ringside C plus. Well, considering the combatants in this match, I'd give it an a plus. He would also got say, the most out of Zeus. Um, the main event was an entertaining match, but the same match would have been horrendous in Trump Plaza where you can hear a worm talk. Zeus did what was about expected. He didn't take me out of my seat in amazement and he didn't make me bury my face and wish I wasn't a wrestling fan. This is the best WWF pay-per-view since WrestleMania three, mainly because there were really no slow parts and it kept my interest. His pace was also satisfying and, uh, there were, uh, there was enough memorable, original and funny moments. So wait, 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 dug it, man. What's not to dig this actually. And again, seriously, you, you take into consideration, um, beefcake and Zeus being in this match and it was better than it, than it deserved to be. Even though, I mean, again, beefcake is over like some bitch. And Zeus was a novelty and people, there was a high interest as to what he could and couldn't do. Um, this, this was pretty damn good. I mean, it's all Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, but man, this is good shit. And you, you gotta assume when he hits the big elbow off the top, that that's going to be it. But Hogan just pops right up and here he comes. Well, because he hit the Hulk button. Yeah. And by God. Now it is time, motherfucker. Throw another punch. Oh, no. he I was going to tell him to throw two more punches, but he didn't even get to that. Spinebuster. Now Zeus is in. I wonder if Zeus is going to try and throw a right hand. The shit is on now, motherfucker. I am Zeus. Yep. Lock that, fucker. 
Yeah. One more. Oh, my God. Zeus is taking four punches. Swing and a miss. Close line. Nope, that didn't do it either. How's the Hulkster going to be able to get this monster down? Oh, he's on a knee. Where's the guy with the tie? Is he still in the fist? Let's see. No, he's seated right now. What the hell? Yeah. She's fixed to come in the hard way. Oh, who would do that from the outside, Miss Elizabeth? Thanks for missing that shot, Kerwin. Uh, he got enough of it. Oh, uh, the, uh, the, the hands guys here again, Justin is tie. He's ready. Got the loaded purse from Sherry. And it's a swing and it's out of here. No, right. <laughs> look at the guy in the crowd. He's calling for the body slam and he got it. He's so fired up. Here comes oh, the leg drop. If Hulk hits the leg, it's over. That guy's got one stance. He's ready. Uh-oh. Hulkster, don't you dare give her a fucking atomic gimmick fernum. Stavitz. Yes. Savage is back up. Uh-oh. And look what brother Bruda has in mind. Oh, Burtis pulling out them big ass clippers. And he's going to give an atomic drop. To someone who doesn't have a ball sack. Oh. <laughs> and uh Liz nails her. And you know what's coming. Here come the hedge clippers. No way. Can't do whatever they better not cut off that ponytail of Miss Sherry. Must mean Rick Flair's in town. There's there's like double hedge clippers too. Double hedge, double schnavitz. No, that's a double fernum. Here we go. Sitting her up. <gasps> Liz, don't do it. No. Oh, man. Sherry's beautiful hair is gone. I love that uh, she made sure to put the little gimmick in there to be like, hey, let's hold all this shit together here. You know how long it took that hair to get just that way? Look at the fucking crowd go Dude, nuts. They're insane. And again, I hate to be the, the Debbie Downer. Neither of the women are with us anymore. Liz is gone. Sherry's gone. Macho's gone. Burtis lives forever. And there's a hair on top of Hulk's head. I got to tell you, man, when I was a kid, this is the first pay-per-view I remember watching live. And I just still love this show so much. And. It really is a lot different than last week's show. You know, we covered SummerSlam 99 and that was largely a forgettable show for me. And, th and there were lots of gimmicks, you know, uh, lover, lever and lion's den and hardcore and kiss my ass and triple threat. And, and there's lots of stuff on that card, but this one really stands out to me. And I think it's because of warrior rude. I think it's because of the heart foundation and the brain busters. I think it's because of Zeus. You're right, and this is 1989. Last week was 1999, and this one holds up. Isn't that crazy? It's, you know, and you said it right there, man. It was, you, you look at that opening match, hell of a fucking first match. 
Warrior and Rude right in the middle of it. They did have a hell of a match, and it was something everybody looked forward to, switching of the Intercontinental Championship. And then you finish with the big finish with the unknown in Zeus and the always dependable Hulk Hogan and the never disappointing Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, and Beefcake. Beefcake is posing with the Hulkster because Hulk must pose. I guess we should uh, give everybody a heads up as we're winding down this week's episode as uh, they're finishing the Hulk must pose routine next week. We're going to cover in your house ground zero. Uh, 1997 is always a, uh, a popular topic and, uh, this will be no exception. September 7th, 1997 is when that one went down and Shawn Michaels and the undertaker are in a singles match. And, uh, that's your main event. First time we see undertaker go over the top rope. We got Bret Hart and the Patriot for the world title. We've got Max Mini and El Torito. Yes. We've got uh, the Headbangers, the Godwins, the Legion of Doom, Owen and Bulldog in a four-way for the vacant tag titles. Savio Vega is going to be in there with Crush and Farouk in a triple threat. Brian Christopher is going to wrestle Scott Putsky on a fucking pay-per-view. And Pillman and Goldust are going to work together, and this will be Brian Pillman's last pay-per-view, unfortunately. Uh, after that, we're going to do something we've, we've not done. Uh, I, I don't think in a long time, something from 2009, uh, I think this is going to be one of your last pay-per-views with the company breaking point, 2009, the main event of that is CM Punk and the undertaker. I wasn't there. It's September of 99 or 09. No, I left in December of 08. Well, you know, this would have been helpful when I sent you the fucking list ahead of time. Watch us how you wanted to watch it and get my opinion. <laughs> All right. Well, fuck it. We're not doing breaking point on nine. Right, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we will we figure time. it out. We do. We do have big plans though. Uh, September 27th in particular, unforgiven 99. Uh, I don't know why I thought you were there then. I know that I know better, but unforgiven 99. Uh, that's an interesting one. It's in Charlotte. The main event is uh, triple H big show, British bulldog, Kane, mankind, and the rock it's a six pack challenge with stone cold as uh, one of the special guest enforcers. Tom Pritchard is a special guest referee for X-Pac and Chris Jericho, the kennel oh. from hell. Al snow and boss man, lots of silliness to talk about there. Uh, and then last, but certainly not least on the docket, uh, October 4th is when we're planning to, uh, revisit the great career of Harley race. Uh, we recently lost Harley. We wanted to pay tribute to him. Uh, so we're going to make our way there as well. So stay tuned. Lots of fun stuff coming every Friday at noon here on something to wrestle. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you next week and appreciate your, your continued support every week. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad on social media. He is at Bruce Pritchard. Our show is at Pritchard show. If you'd like to ask a question for next week's in your house, ground zero show. And, uh, we'll see you next week right here. On something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. That was a good one. Brother. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.